Nobody puts baby in a corner. You talking to me? You talking to me? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> this is God. I told you I was hot tonight. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. What kind of beer? Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? What? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Hello, welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I am your other co-host, Michelle Egan. And, uh, hey, it's Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. May 5th. May 5th. Also, a shout out, it's my brother's birthday, and I know he uh, listens to the show sometimes, so... I don't know if he's listening to it on the day or not, but hey, happy birthday, bro. Brian's brother, we love you. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. This is also, uh, we're looking at close to Mother's Day here, so we decided to yep. go with sort of the companion piece to a previous episode. Uh, we did our father's birth year uh, towards the beginning of our run with, couple, with a pairing of Third Man and Twelve Angry Men, which was, yeah. that was a great episode. A lot of... Yeah, I really like that pairing. Uh, But so today, for this Mother's Day pairing, we're going with our mother's birth years. My mom was born. Is it bad that we're we're divulging our mother's ages here? Is that that new? (laughs) (laughs) My my mom, I I, I really doubt, would care. (laughs) I'm 100% sure my mother will never hear this. Yeah, I I don't think. (laughs) my My mom would ask it up. What's a podcast? What's a yeah, podcast? So, exactly. That's okay. So my mom was born in 1953, and uh, I'm going with Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker. So did you want to tell us yours? Well, yeah. Go for it. Um, my mom was born in 1959. When looking at the movies from 1959, there was only one that really jumped out at me. Huge. Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot. Yeah, great choice. And, you know, 1950, it's funny because I've been watching a lot of movies that just happened to be made in 1959 um, over the past several weeks. The next one we're doing is 1959. Uh, Yeah, which is another great one. We'll talk about that at the Mm -hmm. end of the episode, though. I had a really hard time picking one from 1953 because, honestly, The Hitchhiker is probably a little down the list for me of, of ones that I have really been familiar with and know. Um, I love this movie. I watched it three times this week. Uh, it's only a 70-minute movie, so that makes it easy to do. That's pretty easy to do, yeah. Um, but there are so many. I mean, three Japanese stone-cold classics, uh, Tokyo Story, Ugetsu, and uh, Gate of Hell, uh, were all released in 1953. Uh, Wages of Fear, Shane, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Bandwagon. The list just went on and on and on, and I was I I had such a hard time choosing. So I kind of went with my gut and went with the Hitchhiker. I'm glad you did. And this is a really really interesting movie. There was a lot I didn't know about it going into it. I thought I had seen it before, but when I watched it, I was like, you know, I don't think I have seen this. It was, so that makes me feel a little bit bad because it kind of goes against the idea of our show of picking <laughs> movies that mean a lot to us. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I, I am glad I picked it because this is 
probably one of my favorite, I guess, first time watches of the year. I liked it that much. So I was really impressed with it. And I think it's an important movie to talk about just for what it mm-hmm. is. Um, Lupino's first uh, woman to direct a noir movie, mm-hmm. 1953. Really? She wrote it with her then husband, I believe. Uh, Collier Young. Yes. yes. Yeah. So this is this is also based on a true incident. It sticks, uh, according to the commentary on the disc, the, I got the Kino Lorber disc, and there's a great commentary on this from Imogen Sarah Smith. If you're if you like this movie, I highly recommend picking up the disc and um, listening to the commentary because it's really really good. Uh, I was so impressed with it, and it goes into a little bit of the backstory, and it's the true story of this guy uh, Billy Cook who would hitchhike and pick people up. He didn't always kill them. He sometimes did, sometimes didn't. And he kidnapped these two guys, James Burke and Forrest Dameron, and forced them down the Baja Peninsula of Mexico with him, where he was going to catch a ferry in San Rosalina. And every... So So this this is very very close to to it. Yeah. So apparently Ida Lupino... um, interviewed these two guys and got their permission to turn the story into a movie. Oh, really? And also got the permission of Billy Cook. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Who was, in fact... (laughs) I had no idea about it. He was actually executed during while the movie was being shot. And um, uh, the names have all been changed. The basic story is pretty much the same. This This was new to me. Until hearing that commentary, uh, so yeah, that's totally new new to me. But that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it and it kind of I love that it kind of show you know goes in it makes you realize how authentic why the movie feels kind of authentic because it doesn't yeah. seem like it's very logical movie story. There's a certain aimlessness to it, but not in a bad way. You know, it's like this is just they're just going south. They're heading towards this place, and what happens along the way is a little bit haphazard it's what they happen to run into along the way Um, and that's one of the things i really like about the movie another thing that caught my eye in the opening credits was that the associate producer is christian nyby and the only reason that catches my eye is because he happens to be the director of the original thing he's the director of the thing from another world he was a protege of howard hawks that's I don't know how what his level of influence was on this film, but but he has a associate producer credit. I'm excited to get into this one too because um, I'm still kind of learning more about Ida Lupino. I'm so super interested in her career and everything. I think I'm only familiar with this, and only I've only seen her act in one movie, The Big Knife. Mm-hmm. She's really good in that. And then the only other movie I've seen of hers that she directed was uh, Outrage. Yes. That one is super impressive just for what it is at, at what time that it was made. Yes. Highly recommend anybody checking that one out. It's really interesting. I believe I've... She's very ahead of her time. I believe I've seen Outrage. I know I've seen The Bigamist. And I actually just picked mm-hmm. that one up in the uh, KL sale as well. Excited to revisit it. Um, I saw her in a couple of movies. I've seen her in They Drive by Night with Humphrey Bogart and George Raft, who will uh, show up later in uh, this episode. That's a really interesting movie. That's an, another acting role. I saw The Big Knife recently, too. That's yeah. good. Outrage is really good, though. I 
just really want to recommend that to people. It's it's just so interesting because mm-hmm. it's it's a movie from 1950 about like sexual assault trauma and it's like a really honest like portrayal of it. That's I was so impressed to see the way that she handled that at that time and that it got past like you know censors and all that because it's it's pretty out there and I love it. And you know even the fact that the hitchhiker made it past censors is actually a little yeah. interesting too because. Uh, again, uh, according to this commentary, the production code did not allow movies about that could possibly, quote unquote, glorify or bring attention to real life criminals. Oh. And so the fact that they only really changed the names yeah, um, that's pretty is kind of amazing. Um, so I don't know if Ida Lupino just had a way <laughs> with the censors or or go her. What. She did. Yes. Um, now, some of the things that this commentator also mentioned were that she sort of knew how to play the game because she would sort of lean in. She she was extremely knowledgeable about film and directing and angles and, and lenses and all this stuff. But she would sort of play sort of the wilting flower a little bit. She would play the part a little bit, which is interesting. She had just had a baby, apparently, before making this movie. And she would refer to herself as mother wants something, you know, she, she would say, <laughs> and she would say to the DP or to the member of the crew, I have a crazy idea. I know it's probably not going to work, but what if we try this and things like that? And it's just sort of like, it's, it's, but she was incredibly shrewd in how she was playing this kind of role because she was an actress, you know, <laughs> um, apparently in her private life, she had quite a temper, but she kept it completely at bay while she was on a set. She was completely even keeled. You know, it's unfortunate that she had to play the role. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? But she was also ex- smart enough to know what world she was in at the time. And it, and she would have been exactly. ousted out of it. I mean, she didn't do a lot of movies, but, the, but she did between, what, 1948 to 1955, I believe, make mm-hmm. several. And she worked a lot on television. Uh, yeah. She did episodes of Thriller. She did episodes of Alfred Hitchcock. She was very sought after as a television director. And these are all things that I just learned from this commentary. So, I mean, it's very That just kind of proves to me how how smart she really was, yeah. though, that she would, she would be that way, even though it sucks that she kind of had to mm-hmm. at the time as a, as a female director. But she got it done, and she made some awesome movies yeah. because of it. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, she had probably acted as as herself. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she might not have been as well received as her male counterparts, which is so stupid. But you know, well, she, in the fifties <laughs> during this period, she was the yeah. only female director only working in Hollywood. The only one. There, ha- there was another one. I, I unfortunately didn't write the name down. Uh, Ada at something, and I'm, I'm so I apologize for those of you who are. Currently screaming at your know. screaming at the podcast, saying exactly who I don't know is. or I would help. I yeah, don't know. so I apologize, but I, I'll I'll look it up. Maybe come back with it on the next episode or something. Um, yeah. So going on from there, just diving into the movie a little bit. I love this opening sequence where you just see um, the shadow on the road and you see the cars pull up and then that's a perfect shot. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> his his long shadow across the road when the car picks him mm-hmm. up. God. That's when you're like, yeah, she knows what she's doing really Right well. from the opening shot. <laughs> right from the yeah. beginning. It's just, it's, this is just all happening during the opening credits. 
you know, you set up everything you need to know about our hitchhiker from this opening credit sequence, you know, because the credits are rolling over the top of this. You see that he murders a family. He's already killed two people. <laughs> yeah. He murders a family. He picks up an, another guy, uh, kills him, steals his car. Then he runs into our... And we see just... You see the newspaper. You don't see, you don't actually see his face. You yeah. know, you just see the newspaper clipping that, that says his name on it with Emmett Myers. He's just sort of a guy. You know, I mean, he's there's nothing about him. I, he does have the one eye that's got the... Uh, partial paralysis to it but that's it i mean there's nothing about him that's like this guy is so freaky scary looking to me his face no i don't know his face is a little bit sinister yeah, to okay. me i thought that was good casting yeah. on on this guy. i think he's great i think all three of the leads are really quite good mm-hmm. you know it's um i i, w- I don't want to give short shrift to anybody uh william talman plays emmett myers and then we run into our Two friends taking a trip to Mexico. They seem to be are they like old war buddies, or they don't really specify mm-hmm. too much what their friendship is. They're on their way to Mexicali, <laughs> yeah. and I, I love that. Okay, so it's it's Roy and Gil. Edmund O'Brien plays Roy, Roy Collins, and then Frank Lovejoy plays Gil Bowen. I don't know. I get the feeling Roy wants to wants to stop and you know maybe check out the what's going on with the ladies. <laughs> yeah, that's what's interesting about this opening scene mm-hmm. when you're introduced to these two guys. They're on supposed like fishing trip mm-hmm. with each other, like they're, they're friends, but they don't seem neither one of them seems particularly excited about it. You know, especially Gil in the opening scene, he's just kind of like, yeah, we could stop in Mexico. I don't know, and he's talking. So you think that they're kind of up to no good, yeah. even from this. Beginning. Well, there's a, there's an implication of it. Um, as the movie goes on, too, because yeah. because uh, Emmett sort of calls him out, <laughs> you know. Yes. Uh, which I, and they talk about this girl, Florabelle, mm-hmm. in this uh, opening scene, and you're like, hmm, and <laughs> what y'all what y'all been up to? Yeah, because we know they're both married. We yeah. know that uh, Gil has kids. kids. But Gil also, he pretends to be asleep when they're driving through the city, and, and they're, yeah. they're getting invitations to come to the nightclubs and stuff like that. And we know he's pretending because he he opens his eye at the as they're just driving out of town. So I think you get the, you kind of get that idea. Roy is maybe a little bit more. He's a little more hot headed. He's a little less measured. Yeah. He's a little more instinctual. Whereas Gil is even keeled, a little bit more intellectual, more cool and collected, yeah. more and mm, more mature, perhaps. He, yeah. He's thinking more about other people. You know, he's thinking about his wife, and he's thinking about his children, and he doesn't want to screw that up, which, good for him. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I applaud him for <laughs> that, you know, for sure. And, and they just happen to pick this guy up, doing this good deed. Hey, you run out of gas, get in the back. And I, the camera shot here, you know, where it just Perfect. rolls back to the back seat, and Emmett Myers comes forward into the light, and it's his face, and that close-up is just like, that is perfect. And I love in the scene too, like right away he reveals, yeah, I'm Emmett mm-hmm. Myers, which kind of sets up a little bit more suspense yeah. for the rest of the movie because they know about uh-huh. him, that he's he's killed people and that he's re- if he's revealing himself right away, it's like maybe he, d- he doesn't expect them to survive, you know, his encounter with him. He's probably going to kill them. Right. I mean, his, his reputation is known by this point. Yeah. 
love this next part because it just lays out exactly what the whole plan is. You know, this is our, literally there's a roadmap and this mm-hmm. is our map for what the rest of the, is going to happen in the rest of the movie. He lays out and says, okay, we're going to go, you're going to take me to this city, uh, Santa Rosalina. It's about 500 miles uh, down the Baja Peninsula of Mexico, right on the Gulf of California. He's going to catch a ferry over to um, a city with, who's, <laughs> I forgot the name of this city. I'm sorry to say. Guyamas. Um, <clears throat> Guyamas. That's right. And the ferry is not leaving till Friday. Friday. We don't know what day it is now, but it's obviously several days ahead of time because he's like, oh, we got plenty of time to get there. Yeah. And he says, oh, we can make that easy. Then I won't mm-hmm. be needing you guys anymore. What this movie does is just constantly have a sense of tension. Anything could happen. This guy is a loose cannon. could just go off at any moment um, for any reason. We've already seen him kill several people just for what they have, you know, which is a car. Mm-hmm. It's basically all he needs to get where he's going. But So he could get rid of these guys at any point when he decides he doesn't need them anymore. Or he could get rid of one of them, and we could be stuck with one of them. Like, you don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And this scene, this is the one that really... I think shows how much joy Emmett Myers seems to get out of just the William Tell yeah, out of tormenting these guys. He just yeah. says, Hey, so you like to shoot, huh? You know, it has him pull out this, you know, he has a 22 rifle in the trunk and he gives it to, uh, to Gil and, and forces Roy to, to walk out on this rock and hold up a beer can. He says, all right, shoot it out of his hand. And he keeps saying, all right, hold it closer to your head. Because he's not holding it, like, above his no. head. He's holding it, like, next right to next his to head. his head. And just that whole thing where the, where, you, where they show briefly the POV yes. <laughs> of him trying to aim. And he's like, this is my friend. And he's just, like, freaking out. Yeah, and he's, he's a nervous. Bit and he's shaky. shaky. Is, yeah. Closer, yeah, you see it move a little bit closer to his head. And he has to stop and wipe his eyes. Oh, and yeah. Gosh. But Roy is really good in this scene that too because he kind of calms him down he says no no no, you can do this mm-hmm. i know you're not gonna hurt me like he knows what a good shot he is and he, i'm surprised he's so calm in that scene <laughs> roy. that's true because roy is not he's not calm in most of the, of the no. movie i mean most of the movie he's like let's fight this guy let's let's rush him and we're gonna jump him and we're gonna... gill's like but that's gonna get us both killed yeah. so we gotta follow his directions until the right time once the right time we'll make our move but i don't know when that's gonna be so just we just got to stick with it. Collins! Pick up the can! Take it out on that point there. If you don't, I'll let Bowen have it. Out on the point, that's right. Further! Now hold it up! You won't get hurt, your buddy's good with guns! Crazy, I won't do it. It's just a game. Go ahead. Collins, hold it closer to you. What's the matter? Are you scared? Hold it closer. You want me to try it again? I might miss this time. Shoot.
Come on, Gil, get going. That tension between them is so interesting, too. They have kind of a shorthand with each other because they've been friends for a long time, clearly, and have been through a lot with each other, it seems. That's why I want... Because there's a brief mention of the war. He says, I haven't been away on a vacation. I haven't been away from the wife and kids this long since the war. And that's sort of like the only mention of it, but it gives me the impression, at least, that they were that they were war buddies. Oh. Yeah, and maybe they are going to Mexico to it, with the intention of having a little bit of uh, to cheat on their. Well, race. I don't know if Gil is though. I don't know, but maybe to re- recapture a little bit of that good old days sensibility. Mm-hmm. But I think that Roy definitely <laughs> is. is that's, that's, <laughs> that seems to be his intention. It does have, it, have a little bit of. But honestly, if that was Gil's intention, I don't think he would have faked being asleep. True. You know? Sure, sure. But it's hard to say. A little later but in the He does plot. go along with them because yes. they're supposed to be in the chocolate, chocolate mountains. mountains or whatever mm-hmm. in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And now they're headed to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just kind of going along with it. Like yeah. maybe once they get there, he'll change his mind. You don't yeah, know. I know. We don't get to we find out. We don't get to find out. But it, it's a, it's an interesting because it casts a little bit of that moral ambiguity on them. Yeah. Because these guys aren't exactly, they're just normal guys, but. There's something about them that doesn't make them exactly perfect. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that's what makes this... Which is good. That's what makes this a legitimate noir, you know? Yeah, which makes it even more interesting. Yeah, because, yeah. because so much of noir is urban, you know? And this is yes, exactly. this is out in the desert for almost its entire runtime. It's not like in a dark and gritty, rainy mm. street. It's out in these big, open desert landscapes, mostly in the daylight. Uh-huh. There's some there's some night scenes, but a lot of it's in the daylight. Yeah, 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 and it. But it still, but it still has that noir feeling to it, even though it looks totally different. Yeah, it's that definite thing. It's like you know what, what? How do you know something's noir? It's like there's just a sense of I'll know it when I see it to some extent, yeah. and that and that's way it is with this movie. It's like it because it doesn't have a femme fatale. It doesn't have the narration. It doesn't have. The urban setting. It doesn't have all these things that you think of when you generally think of noir, but it is definitely a noir. And then, then we find out, you know, the whole thing, you know, like Emmett, I should say, has this method of how they're going to sleep. They're like sort of bundled up in their, in these blankets. They're like a cocoon. <laughs> they're like cocooned in their yeah. blankets. And he likes. <laughs> you can only see their heads. You can only see their heads. And they're just laying there next to each other. Emmett's sitting on a tree, kind of laying on a tree with his gun. He's got, I got one bum eye, so you won't know if I'm awake or asleep. This one doesn't Because it's an eye that doesn't, it doesn't close doesn't all the close way. It close all the way. And it's so creepy it looking. <laughs> and I, I love that. It's just like, because his other eye is completely closed, and the other one is just sort of lazy. Yeah. And it's, it, it's so effective. <laughs> it's Another super smart, like, little detail that adds to the tension of the mm-hmm. movie, because at, at night, when everybody's asleep, surely he's going to sleep sometime. They could easily get away, but they the, all, that's all you have to do is add in this one little thing, like, maybe he's not really asleep. Right. <laughs> and it's just, it's so smart it's that, that so... this was added in, because otherwise, you know, the movie would have been over. I know, I know, because <laughs> you see, because I, I, I think it's Gil that kind of looks up at him and is thinking maybe we can escape, but he's just not sure enough. You 
yeah, no, you're not sure watching either because he never moves, uh-huh. and it's just like mm, I don't know. I wouldn't know in that situation either. So yeah, that's a that's a really good scene. It's really good. And then the following scene in the in the general store. I mean, good God, <laughs> I mean, this is because okay. So I think it's is a Gill that or Bowen that speaks a little bit of Spanish. Gill. Yeah. So he speaks a little bit of Spanish. Which okay, he's also. Emmett Myers is a bit of a racist because yes, he, he keeps calling it mix. Yeah, don't, I don't, he keeps calling don't talk don't mix. Talk it's mix, like, oh my yeah. God, seriously, dude. <laughs> Which is interesting. And this is another thing that, this is not you know original to me. Again, this is from the commentary. But that detail was brought into, uh, by Orson Welles into Touch of Evil because his character, Orson Welles' character in Touch of Evil, who is also racist, says the same thing. He says, I don't talk Mexican. He does. <laughs> and so he does. So I thought that was that was cool. And that's not something I had thought about. And that's something that kind of makes you think that that's why he's keeping them around uh-huh. too, because uh-huh. Gil does speak Spanish. So he probably needs him to get to where he's going without being detected. Yeah. And you know so they they way. load up the cans into that into the box and, and Roy is standing there he just has a look on his face like he's about to bum rush at yeah. Emmett, you know, with that. Because he says, I can take more mm-hmm. in the box. I was like, what, what is he planning he's, exactly? He's like, is he planning to use them as a weapon? I or think to, like, he is. But then the little girl comes over and, like, grabs on his yeah. arm. She's so it's cute. So, and the thing is, it's so sweet. And and this part really actually moved me because because when um, Gil comes over, he just hugs her. You know, yeah. he's... He doesn't just, like, pull her away. He just, Yeah, he, like, he, holds he's, on to he's her. He's holding on to her like it's his own daughter. Which is a little creepy, because he doesn't Yeah, that, I know. But this is also 1950. <laughs> this is that. also 1953, <laughs> and, and the conventions are different, right? <laughs> no, it's just like, you don't know that kid. That's kind of I know, weird. I know. <laughs> but but I but I think I think there's a certain certain sense where the conventions are different, and this, this guy, in this case, is safe, and, you know, and, and he's just like... It is a little bit over the line even then, I think. But but I think that's part of the point. And he just um, he just grabs onto her to protect her. You know, it's a very protective yeah. kind of embrace. And he says, you know, via con Dios to her, you know, go with God, little one. It's a sort of beautiful moment, but it yeah. doesn't release the tension at all. It actually, in any, in some ways, even increases it. It's like you know when she when that little girl's grabbing onto this maniac's arm. You know what? It, it, she looks so she's, cute. I know, and it's like she's so so sweet. Yeah, like a little kid, like not being afraid of strangers mm-hmm. is so creepy in a way too, because it's like ah, you should be. I know, <laughs> and this even kind of goes back to the warning at the beginning of the movie, which just said there's like text at the beginning of the movie that essentially says don't pick up hitchhikers because you never know what's right. going to happen. You know. <laughs> Yeah, so then you have this whole scene where where uh, Emmett sort of talks a little bit about his childhood. You know, my parents saw my my ugly mug and decided they wanted to have nothing to do with me. You know what's wrong with you guys? You guys are soft. This is where he's kind of like trying to add in more tension between them. Yeah, he's trying to put a wedge between the two guys. And I think it's Gil who asks, you know, he's kind of says, well, you ever been at the other end of a gun? <laughs> it's like who's soft, <laughs> you know. I think there's a sense of that because, which is another thing that makes me think maybe they were in the war, you know. So they've possibly been at the at the other end of a gun before. Maybe they can recognize him mm-hmm. for the coward he turns out to right. be without his gun. That's right. And you know, his answer is no, and I never will. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a telling line. 
And this is where we also find out these two guys lied about where they were going when they went on their vacation, that they went to Mexico instead of going to Arizona. And so as we already talked about a little bit, you know, I think especially there's a little bit of that sense of, oh, we're going to we're going to just maybe a little bit of a seven year itch or whatever happening with these guys. And they're wanting to have a wild night or whatever. It's that moral ambiguity that comes into it because I think that's which is very much a noir trait. Doesn't really make me hate them, though. This is kind of the weird thing. No, I when you kind of when you kind of should in a little bit, you should be kind of like, well, that's kind of shitty, guys. But it doesn't. It's ambiguous enough, though, that it doesn't answer yeah. it entirely. Is it, it, it leaves the question, which I like a lot in movies. Yeah, you know where it doesn't need to spell it out, and it doesn't prove it one way or the other that they are out to cheat on their wives because you do have that scene earlier where Gil is asleep and or pretending to be asleep and saying, Hey, we're just going to drive through. We're going to, maybe we're not fishing in the chocolate mountains, but we are fishing on the Gulf of California down here. That sort of thing, you know, fishing for what? Fish, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a sense. I like the casting of the two friends. Is good too because they're very normal looking guys. I mean, they're they're a little bit chubby. They're middle aged. They're not movie star leading men. Right. They're character actors. Okay, because it's because I can't seem to get through an episode without saying that somebody is hot. I think Gil is pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of what <laughs> he's a good looking dude. I think part of what makes him that though is he's he's the more confident one. You know. Sure. He's more. Yeah. He carries himself. A lot yeah, he more. carries himself. Well. He's more. He's more thoughtful. He's more. Um, I don't mean. I mean, he's even pegged the earlier on as being smarter. As a, you're the smart one, you know, which is not necessarily true. It's just the way he. He's more mature. Smart in different ways. Yeah, he's more mature for sure. I mean, he thinks about other people more. He's more compassionate. Roy is too easy at flying off the handle yeah. when he gets overwhelmed, whereas Gil can handle himself and better in stressful situations. Yeah, and I, I think that's attractive, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. So I, I, I like I like that casting, though, a lot. I mean, all three of these leads are just, like, yeah, spot on. But I do like that they are kind of normal looking, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Even if Gil is hot. He's a, I'm sorry, he is. <laughs> <laughs> and I like this scene, too, where, yeah, he says the whole thing about you guys are soft, you're up to your neck, mm-hmm. and up to your necks and IOUs, and he's just kind of establishing the difference between the two of them in a way. Cause he's like, you had it easy and I didn't like, that's why you're soft. Cause you've never had to, to work for anything. I just went out there and I took it. You're afraid to go out on your own and take what you want. And it's like, and he's saying that as if that's the better way to live. He's also saying it not knowing really anything not. about them. Really. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't know anything about their past. He doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming they were in a war. I mean, but he wasn't, you know. I mean, there there are these things that he's clearly not that yeah. you're you're a, that I'm assuming maybe. But it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting. He's speech. establishing too that he's he's kind of the loner or whatever, and he's he makes fun of them almost in a way throughout the whole movie that they that they stick together with this. Yeah. When they could they could have escaped if they had just you know said f you to the other guy and gotten out on their own, right. but. They refuse to do that. That's what makes them them different from him. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the things that's surprising about this movie, this is kind of going on to a next part, but is the FBI and the Mexican authorities are actually mm-hmm. really competent. 
you know? There. They know exactly what yeah, he's doing. They, they, they've, they've got him pegged. They've got it completely figured out where he's going um, because it's the most obvious thing that he could possibly do. Considering where he is, yeah. They, they look at, like, where where he was last seen. Yeah. And it's like, well, you only have one place to go from here. So he's... His escape plan in the first place is not really that smart yeah. because he's easy to he's track. He's bottlenecked himself. He's put himself in. He's, yeah, he's exactly. trapped himself, essentially. And so I kind of like that That because so often in these movies you see the cops are just completely useless. Or they're like fighting over jurisdiction right. and who gets to arrest the guy. No, they're just like, no, we got to find this guy together. Yeah, and they, they, they work <laughs> together and they get him. <laughs> you know, I mean, when it comes down yeah. to it. They're smart about yeah. you know putting out false information over the radio because yeah. they know he's probably listening. I, I think that's refreshing because it's such a trope to have it to have them be just sort of numbskulls. There is there is I think a good argument to be made that maybe the movie would be it would be shorter, <laughs> even shorter, but the movie might be better if it just stuck with our three leads. You know, if we only knew what they knew. You know, that could, would even be True, more True, but tense. I think there is still a little bit more of the, the added tension, uh-huh. the way he keeps listening to the radio, mm-hmm. because they know that once he hears that they're looking for him in conjunction with them, yeah. with the two of them being missing, yeah. that he'll probably be even quick to even quicker to get rid of them. Right. Because now, now Emmett knows that they're not only looking for him, they're looking for these two missing guys too, which he doesn't even know that they've already figured out that they're probably together. Right. But yeah, it does add to, I think it adds a little bit more to the tension sure. that they're looking for all three. Yeah. Of them. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate there a little bit. Cause I kind of like those sequences <laughs> to be honest. I think they're, I, I think know. they're good. I think they're um, crafted too. And I love, I love that they're all in Spanish. I know. Yeah, and there's no translation. There's no subtitles. There's no, but you there. But you can still. I wrote that down. I love that part where they're um, the guy that when they're changing the tire and that the car drives by, and then there's the scene right after that where the cops. um, Yeah, they're kind of questioning the the Mexican. The Mexican police are are interviewing the guy that saw Uh them. Yeah, the whole scene is in Spanish. And you don't, but you don't need yeah. it. You don't need any kind of translation because they're just they're they're talking. They show him the picture mm-hmm. of Emmett Myers, like you know exactly what's going on. But yeah, I thought that was it really cool. It follows them completely, I and mean, they're not hard to follow at all. I don't speak, I, yeah. I speak, you know, maybe three or four words of Spanish. I mean, <laughs> but I didn't have any yeah. trouble following it at all. And you know, it's not like they're so brief. You know, they're just seconds. You know, there's they take a little bit of time there, and and mm-hmm. it's fine. I mean, there's really no. No break in the tension. There's no um, sense of, I don't know what's going on. Uh, none of that at all. It, it just flows so beautifully. Because you know that the police mm-hmm. are getting closer and closer to them, but you just, you wonder if they're going to get there in time. Yeah. 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 And that's what it comes down exactly. to. And that's a great sense of suspense uh, throughout this yeah. movie. I can take some more. Pay him. 15 pesos, 10 centavos, senor. Let's get out of here. Come on, Collins. Hasta luego, señores. Muchas gracias. 
Vanya who's dead called Deus. What'd you say to her? He wouldn't understand. What did you say to her? I said, go you with God, little one. I love this next part where they go to the gas pump, they have to break the lock, and and uh, he kind of just they see Emmett's kind of distracted, he leaves his wedding ring on the uh, on the gas pump, yep. just hoping because he he's I think he's got a sense you know someone is gonna be on our trail and this will just be a clue, and he's right, and the cops do yep. find it and they do see the inscription and they and it's like oh we know they're together now we we have confirmation of who he's with and where he's going now. But then yep. the authorities come up with this whole plan that I love. And I wish, you know, like the, just it's like, okay, we're going to broadcast false information so that yep. they think that we've given up and we're looking in a different place because it's so it's, it's, it's smart. I mean, it's sitting here all the way before that. I mean, it, it sucks. Yeah. To have false information going out on the air, but at the same time, you're kind of like, but now these guys' lives might be saved from it. So I don't know. It, also, he shoots a dog in that scene. Mm-hmm. That's proof that he's the bad guy, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. It's an unseen dog, though. You don't actually see the dog. You just hear the dog barking. And then, and... Oh, that's right. That's that's right. That's why he's distracted is because of the dog barking. Yeah. The dog barking is getting closer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> suck. But then, you know, they do find that even when they hear the false broadcast they don't really seem to fall for it i don't think know? so and and then then you have this wedge that's being shown between roy and and gill where he's saying it's like we tried it your way and now we're gonna try it now we're gonna do it my way we're gonna split up this is when they're camping, they're out, camping out that night at the air on the airstrip yeah exactly and then um and roy just decides he's he just starts rolling off and gill's like kind of looks up and he's like shit and he just goes after him to you know it's like i'm not giving up my friend it's essentially what i see there you know yeah he's getting us into this but you know what maybe he's right maybe we have a chance and then that moment where it just slowly goes up the camera just slowly goes up to emmett meyer's face and and the other eye slowly opens yep (laughs) is so great they were talking pretty loud with him right there, too. Like, they could have moved away well, I, and making their plans. <laughs> I do love the quiet in this, because there is a score in the movie, but it's used so sparingly. Um, yeah. And this is one of the scenes where all you hear, really, is the crickets and sort of the little bit of rustling of grass and stuff as they're rolling away. Then, all of a sudden, the car just comes careening out at yeah. them. Uh, and uh, is it... Uh, it's Roy who gets his foot stuck right. stuck in sort of like that uh, chain link or whatever that is and, and mm-hmm. uh, hurts his ankle. And man. He's still telling Gil to, to run away mm-hmm. and save himself, but Gil won't. Yeah. And then this part, you know, Gil just sort of. Because Roy, again, he's, he's going to attack. He's going to rush at Myers and he. And Gil punches him, just knocks him out cold. <laughs> and it's just like. Yeah. Because. He would probably, he probably saved his life by doing that, too. Because throughout the movie, like, Gil kind of stays the same, really, throughout mm-hmm. the movie. Roy is the one who gets even more, he's like, he's kind of the weaker of the two. He gets even more haggard yeah. looking and frantic as the movie goes on. 
you just know he's going to come to that huge breaking point sometime. Well, one of the things that was commented on, I think this is entirely correct, is that Roy becomes Myers throughout the course of the film. Uh, he becomes more and more like him. As the film goes on, he becomes more violent, he becomes more hot-headed, he becomes uh, mm-hmm. more frantic, sure. he becomes just kind of a more of a more and more of a loose cannon. And by the end of the movie, they have been, they have them switch clothes. Switch. They're yeah, literally sure. wearing each other's clothes um, after that. He almost becomes a little more apathetic too. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't even care anymore. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, even before that, I mean, you have this whole thing where. They're hearing, they see the circling vultures and you hear the false news story and the, you find there's a hole in the crankcase of the car and it's leaking everything all over the place. They have to walk. And that scene where Roy is mm-hmm. just yelling up at the airplane. And you know, oh, even before yeah. that, I kind of like the scene where they're at the well. Yeah. It's just another like great scene where, he, he, where he's fucking with them again and he's like, throw a rock down in the well. And he says, ah, it's... All he has to say is nice. It's nice and deep. Yeah. But you know exactly what he's saying. Like I could leave your bodies in here mm-hmm. right now, and no one would ever find you again. And uh, it's and that's when Roy kind of freaks out. He's like, "Just go ahead and kill us." Because yeah. he's just he's so cruel. He says, he says "We know. Dude. I know you don't kill for for no reason. No reason. Yeah. yeah. And it's so it's it, again. They sort of know about this guy. They he's been around. He's been in the papers. He's he's been on the radio. They they heard about him um so but the fact that they still picked up a hitchhiker anyway is <laughs> it's just kind of like that's that's on them right uh, don't victim yeah, blame <laughs> i know i'm teasing but it's just but yeah, yeah. that scene where uh, there yeah and there's like the helicopter flies uh-huh, overhead at one uh-huh. point in this scene where the plane flies overhead yeah this is i think this is his this is his big breakdown he's just completely broken he's point. lost it and then you know they're going under the bridge. They're hiding under the bridge, and there's that gross water underneath. And he's just like, "Go ahead if you can stand the stuff." And they just like immediately go down and start washing their faces off and stuff in the water. It's just, it's it's kind of like uh, you know they're they're just you see how desperate both of them yeah, are, have, it's a are desperation. Because I always think about that when I watch movies like this. You know, like oh, you guys haven't showered in like three days. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, and, and, and later after they change clothes, he even says, Emmett, you stink. He makes a comment. You stink. Yeah. Your clothes stink. Yeah. But there's a line here where Emmett says to them, one of you would have gotten away, but you kept thinking yes. about each other. And I think that. Well, yeah, that's because they're not sociopaths like you, mm-hmm. Emmett. That's right. And I think that is, you have the society versus the loner a little bit going on. Uh, just that idea. Who is really better off? And we don't really find out till the end, right? Is it going to be the people who have each other and are thinking about each other? Or is it going to be the person that only thinks about themselves? Who's really going to come out on top in this situation? And in this case, it turns out to be, you know, the guys that stick together. In a more cynical movie, it may not have been that, you know? And this is a pretty cynical movie through most of its runtime. It's just that scene at the dock. God, I love this scene. When they when they're like because they they go into the bar in Mexico they find out that the ferry is burned down and it's not going to be running yeah. for like two months or something like that and they end up chartering a boat or something like that and they're so they're going out to meet on the dock you know, remember Roy is dressed as Emmett now he's so they send him out ahead to essentially be you know if you're going to get shot then we'll know and that just filled with tension and you see that the cops you know ha- are armed 
you see the gun come out from behind the little pillar there and all these things. Yeah. Oh, it's that's a, that's a that's a Hitchcock that. shot right there. That's like oh, it's totally. like right out of the man who knew too much. I mean, literally, it's a perfect shot. Um, but I love also that it's just so silent except there's that guitar playing in the background, and it's just like it's just a that. Spanish guitar. It's playing this sort of beautiful melody, and it's this incredible counterpoint to what's happening on the screen because it's so tense, and then you have this sort of sweet, relaxing music in the background, just some person just playing on their back porch, it sounds like, kind of thing. Then Bowen Bowen is the one who makes the move. You know, when he sees that the cops are there, he's the one who who rushes. Who finally rushes yeah, in. At Emmett. And uh, it's great. It's so, so smartly done. Yeah, then they get into a fight. But there's no gunfire. There's no, there's no, there's no, it's not a shootout at the end. You know, they just... It's all about it's all about taking the gun away from mm-hmm. Emmett because the gun has been his power the whole movie. And you find out in the scene that as soon as that's taken away from him, he's a fucking coward. Exactly. Well, what's funny is in the real-life story, apparently the cops actually took the gun out of Billy Cook's belt and used it on him to arrest him. Nice. And so it's like the same idea. It's just in a little bit less dramatic fashion but even here this is not particularly dramatic yeah he wrestles him to the ground sort of knocks the gun out of his hand and then they just put the handcuffs on him i love the part where he's just staring he freaks out he's just staring at the cuffs on his hand and then roy just beats the shit out of it it's i love that because he's like (laughs) right in front of the cops the cops cops just let him do it (laughs) you know and this movie has the same Last line as my previous pick has the same last line as Frozen. It's going to be all right. Oh, yes. And I didn't even think about it. It's like, oh my gosh. But he's not going to be all right. It's the same thing where they're not. But in this situation, well, obviously, uh, in the previous in, uh, previous movie, she's not. She doesn't have someone to help her be all right, you know, as, as mm-hmm. she's being driven away. Whereas here... Roy's got Gil. He has someone who's been through the same yeah, thing. Yeah, Roy's got Gil. You could help him. Yeah, and and Gil is even-keeled person who is going to struggle, obviously, but he's also going to be able to, I think, seems to me, come to terms with a lot of this in a more healthy way than yeah. uh, Roy would be. Boy, this movie is just lean and tense and just so well-crafted and... Yeah, I really am glad that I picked this movie because I am too. it's yeah. it's just kind of a perfect movie for what it is. You know, it's a perfect outdoor noir thriller. And it's only 70 minutes mm-hmm. long and yet just those little details add in so much more that you can that you can get into when you really think about it. But in terms of the characters that you know we've been talking about the whole time. So that's just a really smart way of of doing it like that. <laughs> You're gonna keep the keep the story simple, but just add in those little details about the characters that that make it interesting and make it more than just a plot driven movie. Mm-hmm. It really is a character driven movie too. Yeah, and it's funny because, like you said, because it's so short, you know, movies like this tend to be plot driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's and you know it's interesting because I mean this is this is a movie directed by a woman, of course, but there's nothing about it that says to me it's in any way. Uh, What's the word? Delicate. <laughs> I don't know. Some feminine. 
you know, I, I, I don't, I don't mean that in any sort of negative way either. It's hard. It's hard to explain. I mean, it's to me, this movie is as tough. It's pretty badass it's, and hard. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it it's, it's as tough as Howard Hawks or John Ford or, or any of those totally. people that, that were just sort of like the man's man, you know, quote unquote, uh, kinds of directors, you know? And it's it's just a badass movie, and um, I mean, there's the the only female character in the whole film is that little girl, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> and the dead, dead bodies body at the beginning. opening. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's that's it. It's just proof that great director is a great director, and um, yep. boy, this this is this movie is really something. Um, and I so I'm, I, and I think I think what gives it, you know, I guess the feminine touch from Ida Lupino is, is that it is so interested in, in who these guys are. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if that's a factor there, I, which I think it is, I think it is, you know, she brings a, she brings a sensitivity of knowing who everybody is to it uh, that I just love. And I, I, it makes me want to dig into more of her movies than I have seen. Oh, I know. Me too. Um, I've seen many. I've been, I I have seen this one once before. I watched it like on YouTube or something not too long ago. And so I was actually excited to, to watch this one again. And, and yeah, to get into to more of her stuff, I've only seen two of her movies. And there's that um, Ida Lupino collection. Yeah. yeah. Who did that? I think it's um, KL. I think it's Kino Lorber. Kino? Yeah. I, I should have. I really wanted to get that. I should I should have just bought it. I just bought the ones I know, that I, I bought the Hitchhiker and I bought the Bigamist. I might as well have just bought the set. But they didn't put out Outrage, which is the one I really wanted. I'm oh, sure that one is going to be available somewhere. I, I, I can't imagine it wouldn't be, um, especially there's sort of a, there's sort of a Lupino renaissance going on. It seems like, it seems like a lot of it. She's getting a lot of attention over the past Love you know, 10 it. years or so. And I love seeing that. Uh, I'd love to see that with more um, sort of the early Hollywood female directors. You know, I mean, we're talking like the 10s and the 20s, you know, uh, sure. before the big money came in. Early 20s, I should say. So, but yeah, because I think there should just be, be more awareness of that, that it even existed. I think so, um, yeah. Because her name is the only one I really know. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, some of the names I'm afraid are, are escaping me. I'll, I'll try and be better about bringing that, that stuff back. But they're, one of the, the highest paid person in Hollywood during the early years of cinema was a woman, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you know, before the moguls sort of came in and it sort of became a boys club. Early Hollywood was created by, by women in director's chairs and writer's rooms and, and, editors. and editors. My favorite, my favorite mm-hmm. thing about this period of time was that most of them editors were women. Yes. And I remember learning about that um, in film school. So I mean, I, I did a little bit of uh, film study in college and I wanted to be an editor because mm. of that. Cause they, they actually saw it at that time as not that important of a job, which was yeah. why women did it. But so, you sort of realize as movies go mm-hmm. on, that's, that's part of what makes a movie is the editor. Well, it's interesting to me, you know, like, and that's still, I mean, frankly, who's the best editor? If if you think of an editor now, who's working, to me, it's Thelma Schoonmaker is the is the thing. editor. I mean, she's she's edited every Scorsese film since Raging Bull, and Taxi Driver was mm-hmm. edited by Marsha Lucas. I mean, this is such a key role, and um, I don't know, I don't know what to add. So I'm to sure that. There's, there's just, a lot more names like that from this period of time that we need to know. There are, and like the editors. 
Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, uh, looking up, learning more about female Hollywood uh, in this period is is really something that's interesting to me. Then you, then you have, you know, like the designer of the creature from the Black Lagoon, and, you know, and all right. these sorts of things um, that are sort of coming to light thanks to, thanks to some really great scholarship that's happening. Um, because, you know, uh, she didn't even get credit <laughs> I mean, on that movie, as I recall. You know, I think Bud Westmore probably, who's the head of makeup, was probably the one that got credit for Creature from the Black Lagoon. But... It. It's unfortunate, but I, I'm glad that that the voices are becoming and the names are becoming known now, uh, at least, and we have sort of an awakening happening of realizing that yes, uh, women have always been an important part of Hollywood and of and of the movies and worldwide even more so. Yeah, that's kind of making me want to go do like research on <laughs> me too women whose names i don't know from all of, well we got another movie we do have another about. movie and boy i mean i love the hitchhiker and it and i think it really is a perfect movie for what it is but you put it up to the, next to some like it hot it's just like there is no comparison <laughs> i'm sorry this movie is a masterpiece of master comedy of sort of a musical of a gangster way, yeah. film of what else? I uh, mean, it's, yeah. it's satire, satire. Of, those, of all those same things. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, there's just. Yeah. Know. So some like it hot from uh, 1959 Billy Wilder movie. Um, this is another movie that I saw when I was pretty young and kind of like 12 Angry Men. It was one of the older, you know, quote unquote, older movies. We know when I was a kid that I really latched on to just because it is so brilliant. Um, and how, how funny it is that you can recognize it even even as a kid. And it's another one of those where it's kind of like clean humor, but it's really smart. Yeah. There's a lot of subversion. And I didn't even, on. I didn't even realize until now, like some of the things that he was even making jokes about, like we were talking about um, earlier, we'll get into, um, which just makes it even more brilliant to me. Cause there are things I, I didn't know before. Do you, okay. This made the list of the AFI's 100 years, 100 laughs this is the best comedy of all time, which, um, I mean, I would say sure, because yeah. I mean it's hilarious. But even even Billy Wilder was uh, like, like, well, you can't really say that. You know, like comedy is is subjective, and there's different ways to do comedy. Who's to say like what mm-hmm. the best comedic movie of all time is? But it certainly is one of the best. Oh, definitely out there, definitely. And you know, this and is also still, it still works to this. This day. is also one of the few comedies on the AFI um, just top 100 list. It's on both yeah. of them. It's on both versions. Of it, it is. Um, and I think with good reason, I, this movie really stands the test of time, even though, you know, there's a lot of things about it that, that I think it brings into discussion, you know, um, oh, yeah. that, and there are things that maybe, maybe it's, it, 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 through some cursory viewings would, you could say don't age well, but on the other hand, you could say instead, no, I don't think that's right. I think it actually if you're digging into what they're doing, it actually really ages well. incredibly well because it's keeping it this discussion. And, and it's like Bride of Frankenstein. There's a lot of subversion going on here. Oh yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's just a lot of playing with, with like sexual roles and all sorts of, a things. lot of taboos at the yeah. time, which is, they didn't even submit it to the um, MPAA. This is, I think at the very end of the whole, the Hayes Code yeah. thing, like they did, that's how they were able to, I don't think that a lot of this stuff would... There's basically a lesbian kiss yep. at the end of the movie. 
that they never would have gotten away with if they they didn't even submit it to the NPA. They were like, nope, we're just going to let it go. And it's a really good thing that they did because they they got away with so much. And yet you kind of look at it the way they handle it. There wasn't really it's nothing to get away with. They're just they're handling the, the topic so well in terms of you know, men dressing up as women, which is it's not it's used for comedy. But I think they're also doing it in a really respectful way that will get into as we talk about it but one of the things that i really i i love early 30s gangster movies so um (laughs) the fact that this start this movie starts out as a completely straight-faced 1930s gangster movie i love that i mean because because the the opening sequence could have been in scarface or the public enemy i mean there's i mean it, it sort of ends with the joke of them opening the coffin and it's full of booze. Yeah, so this place <laughs> takes place in uh, Chicago, nineteen twenty-nine, and this is February nineteen twenty-nine. So it's before the crash. This is when the bubble, which there are jokes, there about, are jokes yeah. about it. So the bubble is huge right now. It is on the edge of bursting, but the uh, the <laughs> stock market is, let's they say later, is going up, up, up. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is interesting stuff. And this is Prohibition era. Mm-hmm. Chicago again, obviously. So um, we got our main characters, or Joe and Jerry. They're playing in a band in a little speakeasy uh, in the back of a funeral parlor. <laughs> it's I just love that mozza- mozzarella. Oh man, there's there's so much stuff that's so funny in that. I mean, so much stuff in I, this. Even these first opening. Well, scenes. I wrote to you. I says, "Oh my gosh, there's like something to talk about in every single I was, minute." I of stopped this taking movie. notes. There, I stopped taking notes because I was taking notes on every little it's thing. It's <laughs> so dense because, you know, I mean, there's like, there's all these great lines. Well, if you got to go, that's the way to do it and all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> just everything about it is just like. When Joe and Jerry are talking about, um, you know, they, they owe a lot of money to people. Like, I was like, oh, this job. Uh, we know we know before we even get into the speakeasy that there's a cop mm-hmm. that's coming in that's going to gonna raid the place. He's. Tipped off by this guy named Toothpick yeah, Charlie. Tell him, tell him you're one of the pole <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um, you'll get a good seat. It's like, yeah, put him in pew number three. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, love just... that. I know. But like Joe and Jerry are talking about, you know, like, oh, by the way, uh, Joe is Tony Curtis. Jerry is Jack Lemon. Brilliant, both of them in these roles. Oh, my God. They are amazing. Talking about you're like oh, this, we owe a lot of money. Like this, this job couldn't last forever. And like, there's a little scene as the cop is kind of revealing himself with his little his badge. He's like using it on his cigar. I love the, you can hear yeah. you can hear them saying like, "Oh, the stock market could crash," or Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks could get divorced. And it's just right. They're making right. jokes about all these things that are going happen, to happen. Right. And, and, you know, I love that, you know, they're casually pick it, pack up their instruments before, you know, because they've been through this. This is clearly not oh, yeah. their first raid. So they're just sort of yep. casually putting everything away, you know, because they see the badge, <laughs> and, you know. And this is where we meet the bad guy of the movie. Bats Columbo, Columbo. Played by George <laughs> Raft, which in itself is a reference to Scarface. Which I did not know that he was in Scarface. And this scene is, this whole setup is even more funny because of Well, what's so great about it, okay, uh, is to call him Spats Columbo 
is great because I mean it's sort of a it's sort of a silly nickname. Everyone has silly nicknames in in the in in the well, game. Stats are those and uh, they're the, they're the shoe coverings. Cool things yeah. that are yeah the shoe coverings, which we need to bring those back. Those are yeah. Kind of well, cool. he walks in. He walks in and he's wearing spats. So we had already heard him being discussed about, here's the guy wearing spats. He, the first thing you see is his spats. And he goes up to him and it's George Raft. And if you're in 1959, you're going to go, oh my gosh, it's the guy from Scarface. You know, I mean, so everything about that introduction of his character is like perfect. It's perfect. Brilliant. You know, the only, I mean, and I'm glad they got George Raft and not like Paul Muni who played, uh, who played Scarface or even James Cagney. James Cagney would have been great, but to have a supporting player, because, okay, in Scarface, uh, George Raff plays a character called Rinaldo, who is uh, the best friend of Tony. So he's a supporting character. You know, he's the, he's a he's a henchman. I won't talk too much about Scarface because I <laughs> I just watched it. So, <laughs> again, so I, I, I don't want to talk about it too much. It's not that important um, to the story. But it's, the, it's just knowing a little bit about that is helpful, I think, though. Um, just for his character, yeah. and it makes it funny. There's a line that comes later that's just perfect. That is clearly tailor written for George Raff playing the character. It's great, and I love it. It's, and I love the guy who's walking around. I want another cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, because know, because they say too. we don't serve booze here. We only serve coffee. Only coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Irish coffee. You know. <laughs> it's great yeah so obviously uh joe and jerry don't have this job anymore and i love the scene where they go to the uh the musician the music tally agent they're knocking on the door is there any job today (laughs) anything today nothing do you know what that reminded me of today that reminded me of the part in singing in the rain where he's knocking on the door (laughs) nope nothing you know and this is where they hear about um from one of the agents uh polikoff that there is a girls band out there that needs a bass and a sax player. And, well, they play bass and sax. They just happen to play bass and sax. <laughs> and sax. I love how they're kind of tricked into going in there by that girl, Nellie. It kind of sets mm-hmm. up that mm-hmm. she and Joe had a little thing, but he kind of blew her off. Yeah. And he's kind of just, he's playing like the, the sweet guy, like trying to get her, her to do something for him. And she's just, she's just playing him right back. Like, yeah, there's a job for three weeks down in uh-huh. Florida. Why don't you go check it out? I like... <laughs> The, there are a couple of things here. First of all, we're setting up Joe. We're setting up Joe yeah. um, for later. You know, we're setting up he's a saxophone player who is kind of a he's he's a woman kind he's a, a womanizer. He's yes. he's uh, he's a gambler. He's not very responsible. And I also I also love the name of the band. Sweet Sue and her society syncopators. I, I, I didn't even think of that before. It's like, oh man, I love the name of this band. It's so funny. That is a cute name yes. for the for the it's band, cute. though. It is cute. So yeah, this the scene does set up Joe as you know the kind of character that that you're describing. That he's he's a gambler and he's a bit of a player with the ladies, and it also sets up uh, Jerry for what his journey in the movie is going to yeah. be, which I really like because um, when they first find out that this job for three weeks, all expenses paid in Florida, which sounds awesome. It sounds like exactly what they need right now. Cause it's winter in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's, it's knowing they don't even have overcoats. Because they you know, they talk about, <laughs> they gambled them away. Yeah. When they first hear about this, Jerry's the first one's like, well, wait a minute. Why couldn't we do it? Yeah. Like, why couldn't we dress up as women and join this, join this band? And he has a little moment where he's like, remember that one time, you know, we wore uh, the whole Hawaiian the thing. Grass we wore skirts. The grass yeah. skirts. And he, he does, does a little dance. move. I love that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Jerry's the one that's like, no, no, we can't do that. But or no, Joe is the one that says we, that we're not going to do it. He's immediately like, no. no. But they uh, they go on. They're going to go to another job that's like a hundred miles away. They say so they have to borrow this girl Nellie's oh. car. So they go to the garage to pick up their car, and this is where they get in the middle of the fight between Spats well, and Toothpick Chai. They get caught up. I like saying his name like they that. They get <laughs> caught up in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. It's, yeah, know? it's basically the St. Valentine's yeah, Day was, massacre. And that's another. It's, it's not exactly what no, it was, no, but. but that's what they're playing with. That's what they're with. playing yes. with. And it's actually, a, again, a reference to Scarface because in Scarface, there's the St. Valentine's Day massacre in that, too. So now they've become witnesses to this mob mm-hmm. hit because um, they're seen. They, they get out, like, just barely out of the garage. So the, now they, the, the, they pretty much have to get out of yeah, town. Yeah, Jerry's base has bullet holes in it, which is kind of important. For yeah. Later. Okay, another music question for yeah. you. Okay, it says bass, but then he keeps calling bow, it a bow fiddle. He calls fiddle? it a bow fiddle. It's, it's just, there are so many names for that instrument. It's called the double bass, it's called the bass, it's called the upright bass, it's called the okay. string bass. I was it's just called, confused. Yeah, it's, it's called all sorts of things. <laughs> so it's just, it's a, just bass, a bass. Basically. It's a bass. It's, it's, just, just know that it's, 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 the, it's the upright bass, it's not, it's not like a bass guitar. That's the only thing. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, so now they do have to get out of Chicago, and that's when Joe, um, I love when he makes that phone call. Mm-hmm. And he speaks in the voice. <laughs> and he's immediately, he immediately has the voice down. He says, oh, we hear you're looking for you know, two women. Yeah. Bass and a sax. And they agree, to, and then, they agree um, to call themselves Josephine and Geraldine. I think that's... Oh, yeah, they said that before. Yeah. That's, that's what an, that's an, that's a, To me, that's an important moment. Because I think that I it think is. it sets up a great joke. It, well, not just a joke, yeah. but it's also, I think it's um, good for his character. True, we'll, we'll true, get true. But yeah. I, mean, I kind of love too in this part that there's no like uh, getting ready montage no, or anything no. or getting together. The very next scene is them walking to the train no. in full cross. Exactly, and I, I, the one thing I wrote there though was how did they afford the clothes? If they are so hard up, they for money. they borrowed them from the chorus girls. Yeah. They said that. Before. Oh, okay. It, it was just one of those things where that was also used in Tootsie, where they just have the person decide that they're going to dress as a woman and then the next scene is them like fully as the woman dressed as the woman mm. and there's no there's no montage of it happening in between it's just there it's a kind of I like. like that in both movies I think that's one of the best decisions for it because it it, it, it doesn't cheapen it it's just like we are doing this uh, and they have a they yep. their reasons for doing it are, are um, Tootsie it's to get a job and in, well, and then this is to get a job too, really. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, and it's to it's to get and a job protect their, themselves to save yeah. their life. Yeah, it's not for yeah. anything. They're not doing this for any sinister no. reason. They're doing it, you know, for themselves, which is I think is important. But this first this first scene where we see them is also really important because this is what sets up a lot of their kind of journey that they yeah. take on the movie and uh, the things that they learn. Yeah. Um. You see. Um. First, you see Joe's kind of. Walking better at first. They both kind of take on these different personalities yeah. too. As women. I think Tony Curtis Joe, is more convincing as a woman. You know, of. he's more, but he's more they feminine. take on different types of yeah. women. He takes on more like a. He's more like he holds his neck mm-hmm. up really high, and he's he's very like more proper, yeah. I guess you would say, and more society mm-hmm. or something. And Jerry is kind of the the fun yeah. one and but you see that he's joe's kind of walking better at first and then and then <laughs> jerry catches on 
And Jerry makes the comment about how girl how do girls walk in heels? It's like I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there, this is that's just one of the first things that they they learn about being women. And this is when um, the lovely Marilyn Monroe makes her wonderful appearance in this movie. And God, I love this her. moment. Is great. she's just carrying her ukulele, and then the steam comes out of the uh, mm-hmm. of the train. She just sort of at her, and she just sort of sort of skips out of the way and. He says, well, you look at that. How do they move that like that? It's like Jello on spring. Yeah. You know, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, Joe is, Joe is attracted mm-hmm. to her in that moment. Jerry is just admiring the way that she walks. Yeah. He's learning from yeah. her is what I kind of liked about that moment, too. I also think that that uh, the steam coming out is sort of a little bit of a reference to the subway. I think the so. subway thing from Seven Year Itch. I think yeah. so. Yeah, so they, they're getting on the train and introducing themselves as uh, these two ladies who went to the Sheboygan mm-hmm. Conservatory like, <laughs> music. My name is Josephine. <laughs> I'm Daphne! You know, just <laughs> automatically, you know, Geraldine goes out the window. I'm Daphne! Um, and I think that there's more to that line than just the the laugh. I do too. You know? I don't know if we want to get, like, get into this now, but I did, I'll probably reference it in the future too. So might as well mention it now. Um, one thing I really wanted to read, I really wanted to read a, a trans person's perspective mm-hmm. on this movie. And there was this great, uh, medium article that someone wrote. I wish I had her name, but I don't, I'm, I'm terrible. She makes some really good points about how Jerry is basically a trans person, mm-hmm. basically a transgender person in the, in the movie. And like him picking a uh, Joe, only uses it as a disguise right. throughout the movie. Whereas Jerry actually takes on this other personality. Right. And part of that is picking a totally different totally name different than his name. own. One yeah. that's one that's mm-hmm. more feminine, not a like feminized She's version a of a male name. name. He picks a totally Absolutely. picks a totally female name. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly I did not think of that before. I just he just says, you know, I never liked the name Geraldine yeah. and he just picks Daphne. But now I, I see that a lot more when I think about Definitely. the movie. And I love that little that little touch they put in there. I do too. I do too. And you know, whether I mean I don't you never know how, how instinctual or how much thought went into it from IL I.A.L. Diamond and Billy Wilder when writing this. I mean, how much of this was just instinctual for the laugh and how much of it was really, really consciously thought through? And and we'll never know. You wonder, yeah. yeah. But it's fascinating to think about some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they were very particular, especially Diamond, about the words being exact. And the Coens are too. I mean, this is not a this is not something that is lost in time, of being particular about the language that you've written. But I mean, every single word needs to be exactly what is written because that is what we envision, you know. And I think that's uh, some. I've heard some people say that's terrible. What if the words stick in an actor's mouth or whatever? What if it doesn't feel natural? It's like, well, and these writers are kind of like, you know, fuck your feelings, <laughs> you know, and this is what we wrote. I think there's good arguments from an actor's perspective on why that would be difficult. And I get that. Um, but at the same time, it's IAL Diamond and Billy Wilder. I think they did handle this really yeah. well though. It's, it's, there is a, there is a sense of men cross-dressing. Yeah, sure. For comedy, maybe mm-hmm. just because of the actors at the time. Yeah. 
you know, seeing them play that. But it's also, at the same time, it's done in a, a, the right way, I think. And I think it's handled really respectfully. Mm-hmm. And it it's, make, it's bringing up things that people are probably thinking. Yeah. You're thinking like um, a man you know, dressing up as a woman is, is finally going to see what it's really like to be a woman, which we see in this very first scene of them dressing when, um, Beanstalk, the guy with the, uh, the big old glasses, Mm -hmm. the, the band manager to, to sweet Sue pats Jerry on the ass as he's getting up onto the the train. Fresh. Yeah. And he's like fresh, Mm -hmm. but that's just like, you know, a little hint of like what, what they're going to experience later on. So they do address that. And they also address, I think, this whole sequence on the train. It's it's kind of that thing of men being in women's space. Right. Uh, where women... It's, it's kind of a thing with, with any kind of cross-dressing comedies. It's all about, you know, men getting to see things that they shouldn't see. Because right. this is a space where there are no men except for Beanstalk, but no one cares about him. <laughs> where he's, he's, it's totally, just, it's just, it's, he's not in control <laughs> in any way at all. No. Oh, he's he's no, he's just there. Yeah, he's what 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 Beanstalk <laughs> is. I think is, I think he's showing that he's in the submissive role. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a, much. that's a brilliant choice. Because sweet, yeah, sweet of... Sue, quote unquote, sweet Sue, is the one who is <laughs> bossy and tough. You know, yeah. and in charge here. Yeah, I love is. it. Yeah, but this is a a space that's basically all women where. They'll probably act and say things in a certain way that they wouldn't if a man was there. So right. it's a, it's almost a little uncomfortable that they're kind of invading this space. And but it's things that they probably they need to learn. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, and we know that because we've ex- we've spent a little bit of time with Joe in particular. We know what yeah. kind of guy he is, and for him to get this perspective is kind of exactly what he needs. You know, and Jerry. Has a has a line where he's uh, he's he's starting to feel it almost in a little way um, when Sweet Sue says, "You know, we got two rules on here: there's no liquor and there's no yeah. men." And Jerry has a line where he's like, "Oh, we wouldn't be caught dead with men," you know, kind of a little mm-hmm. double joke. It That's is. what a lot of these lines in these movies are. They mean two different things. I fucking yep. love it. But he also says, you know, that they're rough, hairy beasts with eight hands. And <laughs> they <That's right. laughs> love the way he says that. They just want one thing from a girl, and which. It's probably stuff that he's heard, maybe, mm-hmm. but he's starting to learn that that's actually true, maybe. Yeah. That's what women think. <laughs> that's what women are afraid of. Right, right. So, it's good. And I love this whole uh, this whole thing on the train. It's really interesting how they're they're practicing a band, like, on a train car. They're so, like, smushed together, like, playing jazz. <laughs> I love this. I wonder how that actually uh, works. You know, they're doing that that running wild song, which is mm-hmm. fun. And then, you know, the flask falls out and, you know, and is it, is it Joe or is it, or is it Jerry that picks it up and sort of saves Jerry? Yeah. Yeah. Jerry picks it up. And says, oh, my, my bourbon, you know, um, to try and, cause she knows they're going to get kicked. She's going to get kicked out otherwise. Cause uh, she has, a, Marilyn Monroe is so funny too. I mean, she, her, she is. her, her comedic timing is great. Here. I mean, when that whole thing, it's like, my father was a conductor. And this is, oh, where did he conduct? On the Baltimore and Ohio. <laughs> the Baltimore and Ohio. I mean, that is just, it's a hysterical line. She delivers it perfectly. And, you know, okay, Marilyn Monroe gets a lot of, there's a lot of things about her, about this. where she would flub lines a lot. She would really struggle with it. She would be late. She was, she had a lot of insecurities. She would be called out for being unprofessional and all these sorts of things. But, 
Billy Wilder even said, you know what? There are a whole lot of days where she did just great. She didn't miss a single line. Even Billy Wilder would admit Mm -hmm. that. But then there were some where it was like, it was a simple line and it just would be a block. She couldn't do it. Um, And, and he's like, and he would tell Lemon and, and Curtis, you guys got to be right every single time. Because when Marilyn gets it right, it's printed. Yeah. You know? Because, and the thing is, he worked with her more than once because she was magic on screen. Absolutely magic. And you were going to, I don't want to, I want you no, to. No, I was just going to say kind of the same thing is that she, she got a lot of flack for how she acted behind the scenes as an actress. I think she's hilarious in this and in How to Marry a Millionaire. Mm-hmm. I think, especially with um, Billy Wilder, it really seems like. She under they say they even said I think that she really understood the comedy like she yeah. knew where the the comedic beats and the lines were. I'm terribly sorry. It's okay. I was scared it was sweet soup. You won't tell anybody, will you? Tell what? Well, if they catch me once more, they're gonna kick me out of the band. You the replacement for the bass and sax? That's us. And I'm Daphne. And uh, this is uh, uh, Joe Zavine. <laughs> Yeah. I'm Sugar Cane. Hi. Sugar Cane? Yeah, I changed. It used to be a Sugar Kowalczyk. Polish? Yes. I come from this musical family. My mother is a piano teacher. My father was a conductor. Where did he conduct? On the Baltimore and Ohio. Oh. I play the ukulele and I sing, too. Sings, too? <laughs> well, I don't have much of a voice, but then this isn't much of a band, either. I'm only with him because I'm running away. Running away from what? Oh, don't get me started on that. Hey, you want some? It's bourbon. I'll take a rain check. I don't want you to think I'm a drinker. I can stop any time I want to, only I don't want to, especially when I'm blue. We understand. All the girls drink. It's just that I'm the one that gets caught. Story of my life. I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop. And she really gets, she gets it so right in like every scene in this yeah. movie. Yeah. And she's great at, so I want to add the seven year itch to that too. Cause I mean, I think she's, I haven't seen she's, that one. She's yeah. great in a seven year itch. She gets every joke. She knows exactly what movie she's in. And she is, um, I mean, she's a goddess. I mean, she's, she's sort of like the unattainable angel goddess in that movie. I mean, you know, and, and, and this, this guy, I mean, (laughs) just, you know, his wife and kids are away and he's got this, (laughs) she has, he has Marilyn Monroe living upstairs, you know, I mean, it's just like, just like, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a a sex comedy and and it's, and it's hilarious. Uh, It's everything. I I don't know why. Everything she does is, is just, is just enough to make him crazy, you know, and, in a good way, you know, <laughs> wanting to, but, nice. but, but she's so innocent about it. And it's, it's very, it's, it, she's great in it. She's really great. In it. And she's, she, yeah, I, mean, I haven't seen she just, Marilyn Monroe. I just feel like she's she gets not. so much more. I just feel like, she, yeah, she gets a lot of flack for her. She's not really that great of an actress, but when you watch her in this, I think she's brilliant. I think she is so yeah. good and she has so much heart mm-hmm. and she is so sweet. And uh, I mean, is she, I adore her in this movie. Is she a, like a Betty Davis level actress? I, I probably no. not, but what she offers is something, I mean, she's something intangible mm-hmm. and you know, she really did work at her craft. I mean, she had acting coaches yeah, and she had a coach and you know, it was kind of a, Issue, so much so that it was kind of an issue, you know, where she would be. She would rely so much on yeah. her acting coach and ask her questions all the time. Yeah, and where Billy Wilder would get to the point, it's like, so was that okay with you? Instead of saying, you know, hey, 
you got it, you know. But then, you know, a movie like The Misfits, which is fantastic, um, with with her, Montgomery Clift, and uh, Clark Gable, it's just this, this sad, knowing what happened after that, I mean, it's just a sad tragedy of a movie, but it's an amazing movie. And all three give these performances that are unbelievable. And the fact that she holds her own against these Oscar winners without any issue yeah. is like, yes, she was a terrific actress. So, I mean, don't give me any shit about about Marilyn Monroe not being a good actress because she was she was good she was excellent and she was also an iconic movie star in a realm yeah. that few have ever attained. I just yeah. feel like that's her reputation, and it really shouldn't. No, be. it shouldn't be because uh, she but she's actually really good, and I think she, especially in this movie, like I said, she understood the comedy and she delivered it in her way, mm-hmm. like in her Marilyn Monroe yeah. way, but in a way that works so well with the material yeah. that it makes it even funnier. Well, I mean, I think the main thing is she's really good at playing Marilyn Monroe. You know, right. I mean, <laughs> and, and 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 she's <laughs> like John Wayne. You know, John Wayne was really good at playing John Wayne. It's that kind of thing, and yeah, you kind of get the same flavor in most of the movies, but. There's nothing wrong with that, and I think we, I, I think, think so. in our yeah. sort of, sort of modernist, you know, method actor realm realism of thing, right. everything being realism, we we sort of lose that. You know, there's something about someone being a great actor for playing the same, just being good at who they were, you know, in a movie. That's true. You know, yeah, we don't get that. You a don't lot. get the movie star quality like that anymore as much. You know, there's not. Someone who's just every time they see, they're on screen, they're the same character essentially, but they're great at it, <laughs> you know. And, and <laughs> yeah. I, I think and she really she and she was a terrific comedian. And everything, every mm-hmm. comedy that I've seen her in, she's hysterical every single one. She is. Anyway, that's our I think our our strong defense of Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I think yes, we love Marilyn. Yeah. <laughs> and her her line. And I especially love her her scenes here on the train yes. too. This is where we're introduced, by the way. Um, her she plays um, the ukulele and singer, the ukulele player and singer of the band, which I thought you might like that she plays the I ukulele. I like that she plays the ukulele. Um, I don't actually play the ukulele. <laughs> her name is. I don't actually play the. I thought that's what no, you. No, I'm. I might... that's what our song was. At no, the end. It, that, that, that you playing the ukulele. I am cheating. That is a that is a git ukulele. <laughs> Oh which is which is a which is a which is it's a it's a small guitar that's tuned like a guitar with six strings. So I mean, where? Oh my gosh! Whatever. Yeah. I thought I had a nice little connection oh, for you. you just I'm blew sorry. it. Just blew it. Sorry. So I I I, I just, I'm a, I'm a guitar player mostly. So. Sorry to ruin the <laughs> illusion yes. for <laughs> She plays the ukulele and she sings in the band. Her name is uh, Sugar Cane. <laughs> Kowalski's a real last name, though, right? Changed her name from Sugar Kowalski, which is, I think, is another important thing that's going to come up later later on about kind of what the whole movie is about. But yeah, I love these scenes where they're the guys are both attracted to her because they they have they caught her in the bathroom, um, you know, drinking out of her flask yeah. because uh, they because uh, Joe has uh, messed up. Uh, Jerry's boots, right. and they have to go. Tore, in, they have to go in the bathroom and fix, fix his boobs. <laughs> Had to go in there and fix his boobs, and that's where they meet Sugar. And uh, I just, I don't know, but to say more, but like that, we've already said that she's just so endearing. And what she said, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a sadness to her performance in this movie mm-hmm. that's underneath it. So some of the line readings, like, like I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop, yeah. just feels so autobiographical. 
somehow. It does. And it's and it's really it's really sad because I mean we're only a few years off from from her death in this movie. She had I I didn't know this. I watched a couple of special features on the disc and she had apparently been pregnant and lost the baby before making this movie. Oh. Gosh. And so I think there's a there's that undercurrent of sadness happening uh, in her performance because there's more than one scene like that. Like when she comes in after the breakup where she's searching for the bourbon and and when she sings the song, it's just it's so it's just like she's wrecked. She I think she was just tapping into her own pain for those scenes. It's it's sad. But I mean, but but then when she's yeah. funny, she's so light and she's so, she so is. Charming and everything. She is such a joy yeah. to watch on screen. Yeah, she's so charming. I have to say that uh, Tony Curtis is not only more convincing as as a woman to me, he's also more convincing in his fake playing, in, in his what? fake uh, instrument playing. Oh. <laughs> because I'm sorry, Jack Lemon has never touched a bass in his life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even remotely close to what's on the soundtrack. But I mean, it's it, it's not it's not a bit. This this is one of those things. It's like when we watch. Uh, doc, my wife is a ultrasound tech. So whenever we watch medical shows and people are scanning, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, where he's scanning is not what's on the screen. I mean, every it's, it's, it just totally <laughs> takes her out of it. And that, it does this, this right. instruments, guitar and bass especially, does the same thing for me. It's just things it's just, you It's notice, just like, yeah. okay. They're, they're, <laughs> still, you just get... All just, right, like, Brian. <laughs> It's tough. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's a stupid thing, and I just like I know. That's why in Rope episode, I was so impressed. Yes, it looks like he's really playing the piano. <laughs> um, you would focus. I on know, that. and I shouldn't. But I don't. I don't let it take me out of the mood. Okay. Anyway, but also in this scene, <laughs> I was trying to get to is when um, she is talking about um, the men in her life. Oh yeah. That she's describing exactly like Who Joe. Joe is. She's mm-hmm. at first it's kind of funny because she says, "I just I'm a super attracted to sax players," and he's like, "Oh really?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, but then she talks about how he they're base all the ones that she's been with are basically like him. Mm-hmm. They they gamble, they take her money, and then they they leave her with nothing. But she keeps she ends up they sad, leave her with the fuzzy end of the lollipop. The fuzzy and the lollipop, yeah, but she can't seem to get out of her own her own cycle. And I think this is where. Do you think Joe is actually looking in on himself yet when she says that? Um, I'm not sure because I don't. I never see as much of that as I would like to from him no, in this movie. Not not there. I think he do later. I think he's mostly just like, wow, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, and she likes sax mm-hmm. players. I think everything else she says goes out of his head. You know, I think so too. I think that's where he's at at that point in the movie, though. He hasn't experienced her enough, for one thing, who she is, and he hasn't experienced um, what it's like to be in this female role. He's not as tapped into it yet as Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry is like right away. I mean, as soon as Mm -hmm. he says, "I'm Daphne," it's like, "Yep, he is." I mean, he 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 keeps you have to keep telling yourself, "You're a girl. You're a girl. You're a girl." And and girl, and girl, and girl, and girl, and 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 doesn't take long for him to essentially be convinced of that. Fully embrace yeah. that, yeah. So it's and he becomes like so. We're like I he becomes so instantly popular. Yes. You know, Daphne's just like, hey, it's Daphne. You know, they just love yeah. her. You know, right away. And that's another thing that this does really well is like he's. It's it's a movie kind of about people taking on these 
changing themselves, taking on these different personalities. You don't have to be the person you were born with. You can born as. You can change. Mm-hmm. You can change and be happy because everybody kind of does that in a way. Yeah, yeah e- which is a really positive message. And I even love as it. we go throughout the movie, like like uh, we're about to meet Osgood, and we're uh, well before that. Also, yeah. like um, another way that Joe is kind of using the women's thing as a disguise. Yeah. This is where he kind of gets information from Sugar right. about what kind of guy that uh, she's really interested mm-hmm. in. She wants in Florida. She hopes to meet a millionaire, a millionaire with a yacht. Mm-hmm. And a guy who wears glasses, because they always seem, like, so helpless. <laughs> Which is really cute. <laughs> I love the way she says that line, too. Is like, they, they get weak eyes from reading those little tiny columns in the Wall Street Journal. I yeah. just, that's such a good line delivery from her. I love it. Well, it's funny when they when they pull up to the resort, all those old men in the in the rocking chairs are all reading. They're all lined they're, up. They're all lined up waiting for the uh-huh. women to arrive. And they're, so they're gross. all reading the Wall Street Journal. They're all <laughs> dressed the same. They're all rocking at yep. exactly the same pace. They're turning their pages at exactly the same time. Everything is like these. They're, all, they're checking out every uh-huh. woman as she walks uh-huh. up the stairs into the hotel. The hotel is awesome, by the way. Oh, it's beautiful. I love the hotel in this movie. I love the design. And it's a of it. real place. It's so cool. Yeah, and it's just. But yeah, the guy, the guy, right? <laughs> Osgood, oh my god, he just makes me like, oh man. Okay, so he see he sees all the women come up, um, but he really zeroes in on Daphne. Daphne, <laughs> and uh, the actor here is Joe E. Brown, and I think he is so good in this movie. He is. <laughs> and he's playing he's playing the jerk at first, you know. He's he's yeah. not. There's one part that he's. So annoys me, yeah. but he's yeah, he's really good. He's the um, he's just a clone of all these other millionaires. But I don't know. He, he he's and, and he's he, kind he of never, more he never, about. He never has a quote unquote redemptive arc. There's just not enough time with him. No. But he's kind of more upfront about yeah. what a kind of a jerk yeah. he is. <laughs> and he has. And you know, it's it's not like it's not like a likable character exactly, but you just sort of enjoy yeah. watching him anyway. He's super annoying. Yeah. He's he's a creep. Uh, kind of gross. He's a creep. He's a, creep. Yeah. He's a major creep. Yeah. He he purposefully trips. But uh, then, or no, he uh, she trips on her. She trips um, on her shoes. Yeah, yeah, uh, her her shoe falls. And he he's like, I love a girl with a shapely ankle. It's like. <laughs> That's a guy's ankle. What are you talking about? <laughs> nothing you oh can God. see in the leg. There's nothing shapely about uh-huh. it. And I, I find myself. I mean, I'm even calling you know Daphne she in our conversation yeah. here. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just sort of going into that whole thing. I mean, it's it's an interesting part of this this whole conversation that I'm that I'm finding here. Because uh, you know, I've seen this yeah. movie several times, but I didn't see it as early as you did. I saw it. Uh, when I went through the AFI list, I didn't get into Billy Wilder until until a little later. And I was going through the AFI list, and there he had four movies on that list. Still does. I mean, there's uh, Double Indemnity, Sunset Boulevard, uh, The Apartment, and this. And this may have been the last one I saw out of those four, now that I think of it. I had heard of it, but it was the one I was the most familiar. I had heard of the longest. Anyway, so that that's just a side note of my my my, <laughs> my experience with the movie. But so I mean, just seeing it uh, several times throughout the years, and just seeing it in a different light, because it does kind of take on different meanings at different different times. I guess just in the world, because uh, yeah. I, I I didn't think about it so much 
from like a trans perspective, for example, or even a gay perspective. I mean, I, I don't have either of those perspectives personally, but I mean, just trying to, trying to, yeah, trying yeah, to say, like, yeah, neither one of us right. do. Like, trans people could. There are some people that probably love it, and some people that probably hate it. Like, everyone's yeah. got their own different ex- experience yeah. with it. I, from our perspective, I'm seeing it as something positive. If it's not, you know, to some people, it could be. Pretty cringy. Yeah. I, I understand that totally. I get I get a really positive vibe from it yeah. though. Yeah, and you know, like I said, I'm I'm seeing this movie just so much differently now than I than I did, you know, ten years ago and then twenty years I ago. And I yeah. mean, every every time I see it, just I mean, what's going on in the world kind of gives you a different perspective on a great movie. I mean, whether it's this one mm-hmm. or, or others, I mean, it, it's a great movie is great because it continues to be relevant. And this is a good example of that. Part of that is um, in this next scene when uh, I'm going to start, I'm probably going to start calling Daphne from now on because he basically becomes Daphne at this point. And Daphne and Osgood are on the elevator. Yeah. And again, it's played as kind of like a comedy thing. You see like the elevator go up one floor and then come right back down and she slaps the shit out of him. And, because he's basically assaulted her right. in some way. Yep. And he says uh, later on that I just got pinched in the elevator. So we don't really mm. know what that means, what they could say. But again, it's another one of those things of guys learning about things they need to know about what it's like to, to be a woman and deal with guys like yeah. this. And becoming more aware. Absolutely. And Joe is getting a little bit of that too in in these scenes with the fucking little bus boy that or uh, bellboy. I hate. <laughs> oh yeah, that who, guy. Uh, who brings, he's he's, uh, he's <laughs> he brings his suitcases. Oh. He's so smarmy, yeah. and all all he has to say, he just keeps calling her Josephine. Mm-hmm. Talking about now, he just keeps saying doll, yeah. and you can see every time he says that, she goes, "Can you? Can you not?" Right. And you see like the look on his face that he's starting to get it too a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I think. This movie's so... It's just amazing how ahead of its time it could be, even if it doesn't know it at the time that it right. is. And I think, and yeah. Like, and looking at it now, it, it totally is in a way, I think. Yeah. Well, listen, doll. What time do you get off tonight? Why? Well, I'm working the night shift tonight. I got a bottle of gin stashed away. And uh, when there's a lull... Don't you think you're a little young for that, Sonny? Oh, you want to see my uh, driver's license? Get lost, will you? That's the way I like them. Big and sassy. Oh, and uh, get rid of your roommate. Dirty old man. What happened? I just got pinched in the elevator. Now you know how the other half lives. Look at that, I'm not even pretty. They don't care, just so long as you're wearing a skirt. It's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. Really? Well, I'm sick of being the flag. I want to be a bull again. Now, what do you say? Let's get out of here. Let's blow. Blow where? You promised me, Joe, that the minute we hit Florida, we were going to beat it. How can we? We're broke. Well, we could find another band, a male band. Look, stupid. Right now, Spats Colombo and his chums are looking for us in every male band in the country. So humiliating. So you got pinched in the elevator. So what? Would you rather be picking lead out of your navel? Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously they were smart guys, but, but I mean, no one can predict, predict the future, you know, what they suggested. And I don't know what it was like at the time for, you know, this kind of, for the community, for like the trans or the gay community. I don't really, you know, I don't really know what it was like. It's probably not good, obviously. I think it was a, it was, but, 
largely closeted. Yeah, know? it is closeted, and there's probably positive interactions mm-hmm. within, but but it was but it was secretive. <laughs> secretive, and like people, but were people willing to look at a movie like this and, and understand? But I think there was I don't know. there I mean, was they clearly were, they made there it. was clearly interest. You know, wanting there's sort of this subtextual acknowledgement of its existence, at least. I mean, we like we talked yeah. about with Rope. Were, they, they know knew they, they were talk making about this it. movie. They were knew what they were making the movie about. I think Compulsion is mm-hmm. the same way. Another 1959 movie. You know, I think that they this is an element of this movie. We're not bringing it to the forefront, but it's here because you know that's just the nature of that case. I mean, the Leopold and Loeb case. I yeah. mean, there's an element <laughs> of that in it. But I mean, going back to you know Bride of Frankenstein and having homosexuality be an element of the film in subtext because you know james whale and several other people involved in the film yeah. were gay if i remember right james whale was open i think yeah. he was yeah so um which he was just like, i don't care i'm just gonna <laughs> i am who i am you know if you don't like it, <laughs> yeah, it. Then, then fuck you i mean and i think i think Murna, i think i think <laughs> murnau was open too i think the 1950s were generally a fairly conservative time Sure. Um, so I just I don't know why I'm thinking about that now. I just kind of wish I could go back and just know what it was like it, and as, just observe, you know, the attitudes and just kind of maybe more appreciate like how amazing it is that this movie we actually have this movie. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, in a way, you know, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, there were certainly lots of. I mean, you think of like Rock Hudson was sure. the he was uh, closeted, obviously, but it, there. Obviously, I think his closest friend, you know, like Doris Day and some of these other, I'm sure were fully aware. He wasn't, he wasn't, it was just not talked he about. just wasn't talked about. And, you know, it, it was, like I said, it was a closeted situation. Things change, fortunately. <laughs> and there's, and yeah. you know, think, you know, that what, it, what has happened between then and now is pretty big, <laughs> you know. Still no, not completely of course there. Not. Of course not. Of yeah, course at not. All. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not trying to imply that it is, but I mean, do feel like there has been progress that should be acknowledged because I think that honors oh, that honors the people like James Whale, Rock Hudson, and others who helped bring awareness in a positive way. And you know, I don't know Ed Wood for crying out loud. You know, uh, I mean, yes. so I mean, that's a different <laughs> situation that probably relates more to this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. So anyway, that that was a. Tangent. I, I always feel we're going off I on always, tangents. I always, though. I, I love always, it. I'm always like, forgive me if I I'm inarticulate about this subject because you know I'm still learning. Oh yeah, I am too. And so I, I don't probably saying the wrong thing yeah. too. We're both still learning. Yeah. If I misspeak, you know, if, if you want to privately contact me or whatever, I, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm 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 too, I'm happy yeah. to to talk about that. Uh, just try to improve. So just just know our hearts are in the right place, even if our words are not. Sometimes, um, <laughs> I know. You know. <laughs> All right, so they're they're at the hotel. Going back to the plot a little bit, mm-hmm. they made it to the hotel. Um, Beanstalk has uh, complained that uh, his glasses are missing, uh-huh. and his suitcase with all of his. Um, his- what does he call him? His All deck of his clothes? Is that what he said? His deck something clothes? Something like that. Yeah, something his yacht clothes his, are yeah. missing. And um, we find out that's because Joe, Stephane, uh-huh. <laughs> has has taken them because he's he's going to use that to uh, get close to yeah. sugar. I like this part a lot where they all go down to the beach. 
And there's there's this to. conversation between Daphne and Sugar where she says, "Oh, you're so lucky. You're so flat chested." And and you see you <laughs> see you see you see the disappointment like, on his he's face. He's like, "What? What?" <laughs> it's it's like he was it's like he's been insulted. I, I, yes. I love that so much. It's just a beautiful moment. And it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of like... Him in that scene, just like, for one thing, having the confidence mm-hmm. to put on a bathing right. suit in front of a bunch of other girls. Uh-huh. Um, it's just so so brave. But then at the same time, he's playing around. He's having a blast. Well, like you said, he's... Being Daphne. He's, he's become the belle of this ball. I mean, they just love yes. him. They, they love Daphne. They love her. They love her. They, love don't, her. they don't know... They don't know Jerry. They know Daphne, and Daphne. Is, I don't know. Jerry knows I, Jerry in this I, moment because he's he's completely taken on Daphne. He is having the time of his life, and he looks so happy. And the thing is, he's not. <laughs> I kind of love it. And he's not being a tomcat anymore. Yes, he's being yeah. surrounded by all these girls, but it's because they're his friends. They're not. It's not. It's not yeah. because he's. It's not. A, it's not about him invading their private spaces anymore. anymore. Yeah. He's kind of become one yeah. of them. It's wonderfully done. It's so beautifully played. I miss that whole. We miss that whole part on the train where they're all in the same sleeper yeah, area. Yeah, that was, they, they <laughs> I love that. I love that the, scene. Have the party in number seven, and and they're all yeah. piled in <laughs> upper, and, upper seven. You know, he because originally it's just like he wants to have this moment with with sugar. He's because he's still trying to get with her, and there's a an, a lot of great lines in that scene too about. Uh, He's, he's talking about, like, I might have a, a secret to share with you. And she makes a comment about the, the, the whiskey to drink. It'll put hair on your chest. And he says, no fair guessing. <laughs> That's I, just, right. I, I love the lines with me. They're so smart. The, the dialogue. Is, well, I mean. The dialogue is just so brilliantly written. There's, like, double meanings and references and almost everything that they well, say. Well, Billy Wilder and IAL Diamond are one of the great screenwriting collaborations oh, yeah. and it is because their dialogue is so smart and so funny and their structure of the stories is so perfect mm-hmm. that comes in on, on the beach scene too when when sugar meets joe who is now playing junior yeah. so tony curtis actually plays three, three roles. roles in this movie because now he's pretending to be um he, uh, he's pretending to, to be Cary Grant. He's, he's, yeah, he's very much imitating. You can even see, like, in the subtitles on the Criterion disc, it even says in brackets, imitating Cary uh-huh. Grant when he starts speaking as Junior. Uh-huh. He's playing, like, an heir to uh, the Shell, the shell Oil Forge, which, which is so funny. completely makes up. Yeah, he just, because yeah. he has the bucket of shells that <laughs> he took from the kid. That's such a funny moment. Yeah. <laughs> but I love this um, exchange between sugar and i don't know what to call him at this point call junior. him junior call i guess because he's playing he's playing the yacht guy junior in this moment i just i think this i think it's really good because it's it shows that maybe sugar is a little bit smarter than mm-hmm. even the guys mm-hmm. have believed that she was because she kind of immediately tries to uh to get on his his level in a way yeah. because when when she says that their their band name is the you know the society syncopators she's like oh yeah brenmar vassar we're just here yeah. you know she talks about, about i owe her her coming out party and all these sorts of things that yeah that she, tries she never to, had yeah um, Something I read, um, another article I read, I, which I love what they said about this scene, too, is that it was kind of a, a culmination of, of what the whole movie is about, in a way, because if you really, they pulled it, like, way, way back from the movie. When you think about it that way, it really makes sense, because when you, you pull it way, way back, this is a, a scene between Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. 
neither one of those is their real names. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're their characters, if you go into what Tony Curtis, he's playing a character who's not using his his real name again. And also the character within the character is not using his real name because he doesn't, he supposedly does not want people to know that he's this millionaire. Right. And then you have Sugar, who is, her original name was Sugar Kowalski, now becoming Sugar Kane. And now she's also pretending to be, you know, like a debutante yep. to get with this guy. So it's it's all about like... You know, you can you can change yourself and you can they're all about they're like deceiving people, but not in any kind of malicious right. way. They're just they're they're changing themselves to what they think society wants them to be and trying on. You can try on all these different personalities to see which one works for you and what makes you happy. Yeah. And that's kind of what the, the guys are doing, especially Jerry. Oh, yeah. Is doing in the movie. Yeah. Definitely. So I love I love that because I never thought of that before. I was like, wow, that is like that's going like deep in all that scene. When you well, think about it, that, it, it goes into you know there there's the part where it's, um, the last sequence of Boogie Nights. I, I, trust me, this is this is gonna relate because on, on the on the commentary, Paul Thomas Anderson says you know this is Mark Wahlberg playing Dirk Dig uh, playing the the I can't remember the guy's real name and playing I, playing um, Dirk Diggler playing this other character that they have created for him, playing um, Robert De Niro, playing Marlon Brando, or, or playing um, his character, Jake LaMotta, who's also in that, in yeah, that yeah. movie is also imitating Marlon Brando playing uh, the, his, uh, his character in On the Waterfront. It was just like this layers upon layer upon layer upon layer of, uh, of identity that is just uh -huh. like... So much so that it's like meaningless, you know. That, yeah, that's that's better way of putting that, that it. Yeah, that's exactly what this meaningless. is. That's exactly what this movie yeah. is in a way too. Yeah, I mean, I love that. Yeah, it's it's really, really something. So, and I <laughs> let me get what it's like. Oh, let's uh, let's rush back to the hotel and ask. This is like, this is the best Tony Curtis part. Yeah. He is so funny. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Daphne recognizes Joe as plain junior, mm. gets sugar to, he's kind of, um, he's kind of being a bad friend in he a is. way. He's he not is. really being the wingman because he's trying to expose him. Well, because he, he's, <laughs> Which he's is a good thing because I he think knows. he's still smitten with sugar. Don't you think that in Jerry is still smitten with sugar, even though. He, in a different yeah, way, maybe. Yeah. <sighs> Man, it's so it's so tough because you have this sort of fluidity between him as Daphne and him as Jerry happening in this moment to me. I think yeah. at this point maybe he's more protective of yeah. her because now they're like best friends. Yeah, that's a good point. Too. And it's also a great thing for Sugar that she she immediately accepts them, even though the other people when you you notice when they first kind of meet Daphne and Josephine, they're like, there's something a little off about mm -hmm, these girls. Mm -hmm. Sugar immediately accepts them and is like thinks of them as one of the girls yeah. and is super sweet about it. So yeah, I think Daphne definitely is. They're like besties yeah. now, and he's uh, she's looking out yeah. for her. Yeah, I think so. So they run up to uh, the hotel room trying to catch yeah. Joe in the act of not being who he says he right. is, like twice over, right. basically right. as we talked about. There's all these layers, <laughs> and yeah, this is like I think this is one of the best parts is when. Um, uh, he's in the bathtub, and they have a little 
talk about the the guy that's using it. But yeah, the best part is when he just like gets up out of the bathtub and he's like fully clothed in his his yachting yeah. clothes and just the look on his yeah. face is hilarious. The, the, I love that. And where I love that. And where did you get that phony accent? Nobody talks like that. <laughs> I love that part because I mean obviously that's a jab at Cary Grant who wouldn't have been around yeah. in 1929 or not known in 1929 but yeah. but was certainly known in 1959 as the biggest freaking star in the world oh it's just so funny I just I don't know why I love that shot of him so much just kidding I mean, he's because he's just oh, underneath all the bubbles and he's talking to sugar and like just him standing up he looks so pissed it's at Jerry. almost you know, it's this Hilarious. just dawned on me. It's almost evocative of Diabolique. <laughs> you know, him getting out of the tub. That's exactly yeah. what, I was, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, this is just the comedy version. Yeah, it's the comedy version of it. Um, because yeah, you know, all the bubbles <laughs> and everything. It's just so, so good. <laughs> and now I can't remember what happens after Well, after that. that, after that is when, you know, he... They have their... They have the, we have the double date going on. We have the Os, Osgood yeah. and... Um, and Daphne together doing the tango, and then you've got, then you we're going we okay, go over to the bus. Yes, because Osgood has invited Daphne to go on his yeah. yacht, and then Sugar, and, Sugar and Junior go over to the yacht instead, and Daphne stays yeah. there with with him, so that Sugar and Junior can have their then, have their. Time. There's this line that I wrote down, okay, where they get in the motorboat, and he can only figure out how to drive it backwards, and she says, "It's not how long it takes." It's who's taking you. And I was like, mm-hmm. paging Dr. Freud. Paging Dr. Freud. Know, okay, so exactly and it's just right. like, um, it's so it, this movie, this whole movie is so clearly about sex in so many different forms, you know. Sure. Um, and so, um, oh, yeah, sure. um, whether it's identity Absolutely. or all sorts of things, you know, along the way. And so, so when they get on the on the yacht and they're looking and he's opening up all the doors and, and you know, Oh, we have lots of closet space and, and all this stuff. And they finally find, <laughs> cause he's never been on this yacht yeah. before. Yeah. He's pretending that it's oh, his. That's right. On Thursdays, they serve drinks in these small salon. <laughs> the little ruse that he plays in these scenes though. <laughs> That kind of rubs me weird. It's weird. It's like where where he's just like, I, I, you won't, you don't have to worry about him um, taking advantage of her because he hasn't felt attraction to a woman he, since. Yeah, he can't feel attraction, and he he just uses it to because he still kind of thinks that she's kind of dumb. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And the scene, which is not very respectful at all he's still being kind of a dick yeah. in a way but yeah he's just he's saying those things basically to make her put the moves on him and, and kiss him and that's yeah. which ugh, i don't know that doesn't really work no i, I don't me. love that part either i don't love um, that I, I i wish there there was a little bit more i mean granted it's a little bit more of just this deception going on it, it makes it makes the tony curtis character really hard to like it does. You know, especially because, but by the time you get to the end, I mean, it's just all of a sudden they're just ah, together, you know, and like, there's no big deal here. Even though he's not really been himself in right. any form. Right. right. And th- <laughs> that he's playing in exactly. this movie. Like, they don't know yeah. each other. What I do really like, though, is the Osgood and, and Daphne stuff. <laughs> I really, really like that. Because it keeps doing sort of these whip hands they go back and forth Those between, two dancing well, cause, are the best because daphne starts out like she is not into this at all she doesn't like him then that oh no then, 
He pinched her in the exactly. elevator. Exactly. What a jerk. Yeah. So she what she, a creep. she, she no. doesn't. She's not into this at all. She's being forced. Then by the end of the night, they show you know all the tables have been. All the chairs have been put up on the tables. They're still there dancing. He's having... The band is blindfolded. Band is, why is the band blindfolded? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's funny, but it's like, but I don't yeah, get when it. But yeah, when they're just, when it's just the two of them dancing and you see Jack Lemon that's got a really good body in this yeah. dress, by the yeah. way. He looks he good. He's like fully into like all the tango uh-huh. moves that they're doing. He's trying to tablecloth around the waist and everything and... You know the rose, and and then we have one I of love it. maybe the maybe the most brilliant one of the most brilliant sequences in the movie is that whole maraca scene where he's laying in bed, and every single line he says, he's punctuating with these maracas. Cause he and Osgood got, or she and she Osgood, and Daphne and Osgood are engaged. Got engaged. <laughs> We're having a June and wedding. She's so happy about it. It's like, but it's okay because I'm not a smoker. You know, this, cause this, this, cause, which goes back to the line about, you know, my mother didn't, I had, I used to date a woman who was a contortionist and she could smoke with her feet and says, which didn't, my mother didn't approve because she doesn't approve of smoking. She doesn't like the women who smoke. And it's like, no, he calls, he calls her mama. Mama, that's right. Mama doesn't it's approve weird. of women who smoke. The, okay, and the one part that he just so annoys me is when he's, he's calling, <laughs> when he's calling and inviting on the yacht, like every sentence is punctuated with him going, <laughs> we're going to have a little time on the yacht. <laughs> yeah. That's, I can't yeah. do it on the, to where you can hear it on the podcast, I'm, I'm, but it's so annoying. I'm sure it was, it was, it was written into the script. No doubt about it. Because. I was like, can you just. I knew yeah. that. Well, I mean, and, and uh, I mean, it's funny, but it's just kind yeah. Of funny. I I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. But that whole sequence, is like, why would a guy want to marry a guy? Security and all the. I mean, exactly. it's, it's all these great moments because everything is just it's just a it's an answer and it's a good answer in every case. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and he hasn't entirely forgotten no. who he really is in this moment, even though like. It seems like Joe is like trying to bring him so back. You're, you're a boy. You're, now, that's when that's when I'm a boy. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. Switch to I'm, I'm a boy. boy I'm a boy. boy. I'm a boy. Yeah. But he's all, he's like okay. No, I know it's not going to work out with Osgood. We're gonna we're gonna get married. All of his marriages have failed. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get married, and I'm just gonna take the alimony. And like so, he's he's working on getting money because they're still in their tight money situation. Yes, they are. You know when when all this is he's over, like, I'm gonna collect the alimony. I'm gonna get paid every month, and I'm yes. gonna. Everything's going to be fine. We'll get a quick annulment. I don't, I'm not actually going to marry him. Anyway, it's a great scene. Yeah, I do love that scene because, uh, yeah, because again, it's another example of him. He's, he's really being himself. He is. In this scene as Daphne. It's just kind of beautiful to watch in a way because, because he's never, it's, it's never, the cross-dressing thing is never really played that much for jokes. There's a couple of things like with the boobs mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's, I don't know how to say this right, but they're, it's just their, just their disguises that they're using, but it's never, I don't know. It's not the whole joke, you know, it's. Right. Okay. There um, you go. Yes. It's, yes. It, I mean, it's, the, it starts out as the joke, but then it becomes mm-hmm. something else. I think is the movie. The fact goes that on. they are cross-dressing is not the joke. Yeah, right. So it's not the only thing. They, they get into much more deeper things yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so after that is when the gangster movie returns. 
It comes back. Yay. Yeah, because I mean, we we've had. It. Did you forget about that? Yeah. So and it and again, you know, you have the it starts out with the spats. I mean, that's the identifying characteristic, and and then I love to see you've got you've got the guy who's flipping the coin. That you have the name um, Little Bonaparte, which is a reference to the movie Little Caesar. Um, oh, okay. And then you have gotcha. um, Raph just catches the coin out of the air and says, "Where'd you pick up that cheap trick?" Well. From from him and Scarface because from him. because he was George Raft as as Ronaldo in in that movie he would flip a coin that was his trademark he's one of the most famous gangster things ever in any of those movies he was in singing in he the was rain in singing in the rain it was uh, one of those things I was just like this is what one of the things that gangsters do and it yeah. was just sort of sort of this great joke and then while they're sitting at the yeah, dinner. So spe- um, well, Spats and his guys are yeah. down here in Florida now because they're basically meeting up with other mob guys, mm-hmm. but it's like under the guise of them celebrating a it's birthday kind of like, or something. Mm-hmm. Like well, no, it's like it's some kind of they're under meet. I forgot what it was now. Damn it, some kind of meeting oh, of that, like, yeah, yeah, Ita- yeah. Italian. Uh, this is the Opera Italian Lovers Heritage. So, or it's something. the Opera Lovers Association or something yes, like that. That's yeah. it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the, that's what they're down there for. They recognize. Mm-hmm. Joe and Jerry yep. as as the guys. That's yeah. what happened. But yeah, that dinner scene. The is dinner fun. scene's great. Well, because uh, you have a part where George Raft picks up a grapefruit and is about to smash it in one of the henchmen's face, which is a famous moment from The Public Enemy, where James Cagney smashes a grapefruit in May Clark's face. It's just one of those famous moments. I love this scene. I love the guy that's hosting the dinner. Oh. And, the, and, you know, the thing is... All of his lines are the best. Because he's talking specifically about spats, and mm-hmm. I, I can't do all of it, but he's, what he's basically doing is, like, he'll say something and then just immediately contradict himself with the yes. next line. It's so brilliant, because he's like, some will say that they are terrible at what they do because they let those two witnesses go get away, you know, back at right. the St. Valentine's right. Day massacre thing. But I say everybody makes mistakes and we should forgive them. And it's just, it's one line right after another yeah. like that. And it's so It's brilliant. like one of them's how he really feels and then one of them is, is yes. what he politically has to say, you know, kind of right. thing. <laughs> I love it. Well, and that whole, and I, I'm sure that you know like the hearing aid for example is is something from a from a gangster film too i just i'm not sure which one uh there are certain things that's like this is probably another reference that that i just probably, don't I'm not that kidding. i just yeah. don't know but those three in particular stood out to me as things i was familiar with yeah, um, yeah this is at the end of like a whole like chase scene like i said where spats and his guys have recognized them and the elevator up the and table down. the elevator yeah. again and uh they're <laughs> they're the guys that are running this thing are actually after spats yeah as we find out because they say like oh we hear you got a birthday coming up and he's like my birthday's not for four right, months <laughs> right yeah so they have this big birthday cake obviously with a guy hiding inside, inside of it, it comes, comes out, out kills spats yeah and so that's kind of the end of the their problems there, but there were, I love this song because it's like the whole like um, last minute, like the last minute rush of like a comedy, yeah. like caper type thing yeah. where they're, they want to say, he wants to say goodbye to Sugar. So um, Joe's Josephine, like um, jo- as Junior, right. <laughs> he's got to call her up and say that, um, kind of break her heart yeah. basically and 
you know, say that he's been promised to some other woman down in Venezuela, right, whatever right. that he's that he's gonna marry, and it just it just crushes sugar, yeah. and it's kind of sad and to watch that. Scene. That's where you see and they're pa- they're packing up to leave. That's yeah. where you see all that you know that pain we were talking about that I think was yeah. I, I think was very present in Marilyn Monroe's life. I think, of course, you know you can see that in a lot of her roles yeah, too. Yeah, that. and you know I mean there there's all this stuff about you know she was murdered or what i don't think so you know i i really think she took her own life and I, it's, it's sad for me to say that but this was a person who was so deeply i mean just just I, clearly depressed tormented yeah tormented and depressed mm-hmm. person and you know people i mean i it, it's a sad see just a tragic tragic story it, it really is and there's no doubt about that but i mean that that you can see the sadness of her in in her roles it's there on screen people can pretend it wasn't it's, there but it, it's there and you can see it especially in this movie like we said before in that that song that i'm she through sings. with love it's just i'm through with love it's just heartbreaking and she's got a tear you can feel mm-hmm. it in the way that she's singing it and you can see it on her yeah. face too she's very good at that in this scene mm-hmm. and um joe as now dressed up as josephine because they're good they're trying to escape mm-hmm. the the hotel he wants to say goodbye to sugar he goes and he hears her singing this and this is where he finally realizes what he's done to her yes. i think yeah and it's a i think it's a it's a good moment because he just he watches her Seeing this whole thing, and he's he's really like, yeah, I kind of fucked up here, didn't I? <laughs> you know, and it takes a long time for that character to be too long. to be likable. Yes. because honestly, the whole movie. honestly, I I don't I don't particularly like Joe at the beginning of this movie. I don't particularly like don't him either. when he's when he's being junior. I Not you know, either. it's just <laughs> that moment that finally melts him, and it, it's just all seems to hit him at once you know it's it's yeah. the what has what jerry caught on to from the yeah. beginning yeah it's taken joe the whole movie it's like i'm i'm this guy this is like all of a sudden he realizes i'm the guy you know yeah. i'm just another one in the cycle mm-hmm. she just doesn't know it yet but now he's actually seeing mm-hmm. what that does to yeah. her and he finally he's finally feeling it and yeah like i said i love this scene because uh he's still dressed up as josephine and goes up kisses and her kisses her yeah. I love that. So there's basically, like I said, a lesbian yeah, kiss in yeah. this movie. And do we do as we far get as a, anybody else in the scene? As far as anybody else in the scene knows, is that where we get Louis another? Sugar. Is that where we get another beanstalk? I can't remember. Sweet <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> Sue yelling beanstalk But she recognizes right away when when he kisses her that that is because mm-hmm. they had a whole kissing session on the yacht before. Yeah. She recognizes that it's actually junior and goes out and uh, chases after them as they're all running toward Oshkid's motorboat, motorboat yeah. to, to get to his yacht and then we get to the last scene in the movie with the best line well the be, most famous be, before line we get ever. before we get to the most famous line i think it's important before that when sugar gets on and he says he admits everything oh yeah he's he's like he's oh, like yeah. i'm yeah. a saxophone player I'm a no good name. I'm just another one of these guys. And she's like, but her line is a little weird there. Don't you think? It's like, I told you I'm not very bright, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah. she, but I think, I think there's also a realization that 
we hope, there's at least hope that Joe has learned from all this and has changed and learned is not going to yeah. be just another saxophone player, quote unquote, in this line of saxophone players in her life. Yeah. Or that she says that to him because maybe she feels a little differently about him or she sees that in him that he could has the potential at least to be different than every other guy that she's been with yeah. before. So yeah, that's a good good little moment between it is them. it is and then of course we have the exchange <laughs> the exchange between osgood and daphne which is i, I wish i had written down the whole exchange because know, because too. it's it's um, so because it, it builds up it builds to, up to, the, to that, that line. line and um yeah it's it's him saying like oh i'm not a natural born like, i don't care like, every everything she says is i don't care it's, it's like i smoke her i smoke all the like, time that's, that's fine, fine. <laughs> it's like and then he says uh i could never have children we could adopt some. So yeah, then he finally uh, pulls I'm off the wig and says, and, I'm and instead a man. of having, and it's perfect, <laughs> no pun intended, because he doesn't have a big reaction. He just says, "Well, yeah, well, nobody's perfect." He has no, he has no reaction. Yeah, to it. and that is the okay. So as I L L Diamond, you know, I A L Diamond. I say that three times fast. It's just like bleh. okay. Say diamond. <laughs> yeah. uh, he. He has this whole thing where, where it's like, first of all, you give the audience what they expect. What they expect is he's going to take off his wig and say, I'm a man. We know that's going to happen. But then you have to give them what they also want, which is the unexpected, which is no reaction. And what line do you put there? Eh, nobody's perfect. And there is no more perfect line than that for the ending of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And the thing is, what's funny is... is uh, Diamond was the only well, one. Yeah, they said it. they weren't sure about yeah. that line. That was just the, what they thought of immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we'll just go with that. And then when they showed it to audiences, that line made audiences just uproarious yeah. laughter. They loved yeah. it. Well, I mean, because they weren't sure if it was going to work at first. It wasn't until they saw it with an audience that they realized exactly. how perfect it you was. You know, it's Billy Again. Wilder, you know, he even was <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's one of the good lines, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, he mm-hmm. didn't even. Two words. He didn't that's realize he it. His, and, you know, um, Diamond's wife didn't realize it. Nobody thought it was was right. But here's the thing: you can't you can't know that yeah until you see other people see it. Here's too. the thing, and this this is something I thought of when I, I saw this interview with Peter Bogdanovich that said, you know, when he was talking about writing for about movies, he said what the best advice he ever got about writing was start with a bang and end with a snap. And that line, nobody's perfect, is the perfect. Snap. It's it's flawless. And it's that whole scene, including that line, is great for Osgood's character, another person that she didn't really like the whole time. Mm -hmm. Because he accepts Daphne. A hundred percent. He accepts Daphne percent. He accepts Daphne more than Jerry does. And you kinda wonder what's gonna happen after that. Yeah, Yeah, I mean I don't know uh, what it, it's. This is kind of fun, to but it, it's fun to speculate and, and think about what could happen. Yeah. After this movie, but you know, thank God there's no sequel. But yeah, it's it's just, it's where Osgood redeems himself yeah. as someone who who accepts death and basically accepts a trans person coming out to him yeah. is what this scene mm-hmm. is, and his reaction is perfect. No reaction. That's mm-hmm. fine. That's all you need to say. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't understand, Osgood. Uh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. 
Oh man, I fucking love this movie. I, 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 I do too. so much. I do too. And you know, I not to short shrift the Hitchhiker, but uh, something like it hot is clearly the greater film. Um, <laughs> I, I, as much as I, I love, uh, I'm, but I'm glad we paired these two uh, yeah. anyway because I don't know. There's some. There's something. I mean, it's nothing about them that pairs. I don't think, but yeah. somehow works anyway. You know, it always works yeah. in some way. We make it yeah. work. Yeah, some like it hot. Absolute classic. Been a favorite for years, mm-hmm. and watching it now and thinking about it in totally different ways than I had before i always just liked it because it was hilarious and i love the actors uh-huh. now realizing kind of how important it is and how smart it is and what it was doing that was mm-hmm. ahead of its time mm-hmm. i appreciate it even well, more I mean, those four billy wilder movies i mentioned i mean all four of those are are essentially not essentially they are essential i mean if you if you're gonna think oh, of sure. think of four movies like that love the apartment the apartment is my personal favorite of the four that mm. i mentioned well i know it's hard with it's, it's, hard it's a with hard choice though, when yeah. all four of them are as brilliant as they are but the apartment i think touches me it's funny but i think it's also it's so much it's so serious. melancholy too and yeah. i and i i think it the first time i saw okay i was like i i would put too much stock in the oscars as a as a kid you know when I was younger, sure. and I was like, "How dare this movie called The Apart <laughs> win Best Picture over Psycho?" You know, <laughs> you know oh. that that was me at the time because I was I revered Hitchcock on a level I still revere Hitchcock. I think Hitchcock's one of the great directors, of course. But The Apartment as a film, when I finally saw The Apartment, it was like, "Oh yeah, I get it. This is why." Yeah, and, and really I good. love Psycho. Psycho was probably a bigger game changer as far as how movies were made and exhibited and all that stuff. But The Apartment is a masterpiece. It is is. a stone-cold masterpiece. And that was the movie that was like, opened my mind about Jack Lemmon, too. Because I had seen, you know, Grumpy Old Men, and I had seen the things he had done with Walter Matthau late in his career. Things like that. And And I thought he was great. I loved Jack Lemmon. But to see him in something like this... And to see him in something like The Apartment was like, this guy is amazing. Yes. Uh, Jack Lemmon is one of the greats. And there's just no doubt. Tony Curtis, I have mixed feelings about, if I'm being honest. You know, <laughs> I love Janet Lee too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we both love Marilyn. And, and Marilyn, so. yeah. Marilyn shines she, in this movie. This is, I haven't seen all of her films. I think my favorite performance yeah. of hers is probably The Misfits. But I think this is the best movie of hers and she's so great in this. She's yes. just I like like we've said all the way through, what an icon. And yeah. so deserving of her status as an icon. Oh, totally. I'm glad that she, there's a movie like this that she was able to shine in. She deserves it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the one she's probably most remembered for. I think so. Yeah, yeah. this and Seven Year Itch probably because of the because of the famous because of the dress. The, dress, the white dress blowing up Yeah. Um <laughs> Oh, I loved talking about that. I have never gotten to talk about that movie with someone else before. Yeah, so. I mean, to, I to talk about it on a whole different level is great, too. Yeah. All right. So maybe we should uh, awesome. move on, huh? To we got to wrap up. Wrap yeah. Up. How long has this oh, been? <laughs> long, long, long. Out. Um, but that's 2.35 so far. Come on, Brian. <laughs> oh, shoot. My uh, audacity didn't re- Just kidding. <laughs> Oh I my would God. never I would have killed I you. Know. I know. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
Um, I would have killed you. All right. Recommendations. Go to our weekly recommendations. Uh, should I go first? Mine are more linked to the movies probably here. Um, okay. Mine, yeah, um, I'm recommending the first two movies that I thought of after watching each movie. Yeah, so these are both kind of pairings. Okay. So with The Hitchhiker, immediately while I was watching The Hitchhiker, the movie uh, Gun Crazy kept coming to mind. Yeah. Um, and I rewatched it uh, the next day. I was like, man, this movie's so great. It's yes. and might be coming up on a future episode. So All right. hmm, maybe. Um, <laughs> what makes you say that? I don't know. And then uh, after Some Like It Hot, I watched Scarface. And. I really want to see Scarface the, now. I have the to. original 1932 version. Yeah. Watching this movie in conjunction with Scarface, it's just like it's it's perfect. Uh, it's a perfect pairing um, because you you know um, obviously some like it hot is the comedy version of the gangster movie it, it, for a good portion of it. Mm-hmm. It is the one it most sort of lampoons, I guess, for lack of a better term, or plays with a little bit is Scarface. Even though I don't personally think it's the best gangster film of that period uh i'm i'm personally partial to the public enemy i think it's a better movie and i think scarface sort of frankly ripped off (laughs) a lot of elements (laughs) of of the public enemy scarface is great it's a really terrific movie you got paul muni you got george raft you've got uh just a great cast uh it's a tough movie it's i personally am not as big a huge fan of the de palma scarface I know I'm not really you can, you can cancel me now, but I, uh, I love the original. I just agreed with you. I, no, I, I was, I was talking to our audience, not to you. Um, <laughs> but that's nice. It's funny. It's not my favorite. Yeah, I think it's fine. I, I would rather watch other diploma movies. Um, sure. But I would, I'd rather watch other gangster movies of the, of that period, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm like yeah, it. I'm taking other movies off the shelf before I'm watching that. It's fine, but the original Scarface is is a great revisit. Yeah, I, I recommend both of those quite a bit. Um, and we'll talk more in depth about Gun Crazy in a few months here. Stop giving away hints. How dare I? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, my recommendation uh, has nothing to do with the movies or movies at all. I like to recommend things about other stuff that I'm interested in that I think other people might be interested in too, just to shake it up a little bit. So um, this is a podcast that I've been really enjoying. Um, It's called That's Messed Up. I've heard of this. And it's an SVU podcast. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Law & Order SVU. I've seen every episode, like, I don't know how many times. I love it. But don't make that face at me. Do you know why? This this was not me cringing at you liking it. This was me cringing at I have never seen a single episode of it. What? Oh my god! I've never seen a single episode of any Law and Order. It's like twenty friggin' seasons long. You've never seen a single episode. I know. I'm terrible. Yeah, I love it. It's it's my thing. So. That's messed up. It's the thing that um, Ice T says a lot in the show. <laughs> They're talking about um, whatever horrible thing yeah. is happening. You hear Ice T say a lot. That's messed up. <laughs> so I think that's where they got the title. You know, I, I got to say, can so I drop? Like, I love Ice T as an actor. He's, he's great so in good. Well, he well, he's so good. He's, he's good in, in everything I've seen him in. Frankly, he's yeah. he's a terrific actor, and I I think I I I, like I love him, him a lot. So anyway. I love him a lot. Uh, so the show is hosted by uh, Lisa Traeger and Kara Clank, and I think they're comedians. I want to say they work in the industry, but it's really cool what they um, what they do with the show because you know SVU has the whole 
rip from the headlines angle for a lot of the episodes. So what they do is they they go they pick a certain episode. They've gone like all the way back to the beginning. They've done like newer stuff. They're just going all over the place. I love it. They go through. They pick an episode and. They just kind of go through the whole plot of what happens, and then they talk about the real-life crime that that episode was based on. And some of it I don't even... I didn't even know. So it's been it's been really interesting. And then, like, it's really cool because, the, like, the last 10 or 15 minutes of the show, they do it, uh, an interview with an actor that was in the episode. Nice. So it's just a really... It's such a cool... I, I was so mad when I heard that. I was like, that's, like, the freaking perfect idea for, for a podcast mm-hmm. because... It's like two of my favorite things, SVU and true crime. Like, I wish I had thought of something like that, you know, yeah. one of those kind of shows. And it's really interesting. They're they're hilarious, and they do a really good job. And I love um, just the one I just listened to, like one of their newest episodes. Their interview was with Wycliffe John, who was in an episode. They've interviewed Marsha Gay Harden. Oh, wow. She's a recurring character on the uh-huh. show, and so... They're doing amazing. So if you're if you're into SVU and you know you want to learn a little bit more about it and hear people talk about it in really funny ways, <laughs> recommend that's messed up an SVU podcast. I guess if this friendship is going to continue, I'm going to have to start watching SVU. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> nice, nice. So nice. next time, next episode, we're doing. I know I say this about like everything we talk about but this is like one of my favorite things mm-hmm. we're talking about courtroom movies Excellent. so stoked i'm excited for these so for your... this for this pairing because uh, there are so many great movies to choose from of course we already did 12 angry men we already did one um yeah. which you know both of these are a little bit different courtroom dramas mine is very different yeah and mine is too and mine mine is more focused on the lawyer in this situation, um, I've chosen uh, Sidney Lumet's The Verdict, which is uh, the central performance by Paul Newman in this movie is incredible. And I've been meaning to see this. For it's years. it's yeah. a it's a great film. Honestly, I've only seen it once, but it struck me so hard that it was this is a masterpiece in its way. It, I'm probably throwing around the word masterpiece. I'm sorry, but okay. this is it's a great film. <laughs> Okay, and Sidney Lumet and courtroom dramas go together really well because he made a few. Mm-hmm. He made this. He made. Uh, he made, of course, Twelve Angry Men, which is a masterpiece, without a doubt. And then uh, he made another pretty good movie with Vin Diesel called Find, Find Me Guilty. That was late in late really? in his career. That's it was pretty good. I never heard yeah, of that. Yeah, it's one. not one of his best films, but it's. Pretty good. Lumet's one of those directors where I feel like I really want to just watch their entire filmography. I know. He's and a, because I've been catching up a lot on his yeah, stuff. And I mean, he's amazing. I mean, you got the so so diverse. You got the whiz in there as well, but you know, you also have such great movies like um, another one we're going to be talking about coming up soon. <laughs> Did you forget what? Another one we're going to be talking about. Soon. Oh, yeah. yeah! It might be the same time we talk about. The other movie like I mentioned. Crazy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought Come at on, first Brian. I thought you were talking about what we're talking about the Wiz. What? <laughs> it's like, no. Please let us not talk about the Wiz because um, even Sidney Lumet didn't like. <laughs> I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't get too judgy about it. I should watch it again first. Okay. Anyway, but it has some good. It has some great things about it. But anyway, okay. anyway, on we go. That's right. Yeah, the the, the, the movie that we're the, the other movie we're talking about 
from Sidney Lumet is an oh. all-timer for me, too. Um, anyway, um, that's me. What's your... Um, we're going to keep it in 1959, which I didn't realize at first. Um, with my pick, we're going to do Otto Preminger's Anatomy of a Murder. Excellent. So fascinated with this movie. It's super long. It is long. Super detailed <laughs> and intense. And I'm just fascinated with it every time I watch it. Um, we're talking Otto Preminger again. We're talking James Stewart, Lee Rimmick, Ben Gazzara, George C. Scott. And like probably one of the best courtroom I think it's been called by some people as like one of the best like depictions of an actual yeah. trial mm-hmm. that's ever been put on film. And it's it's so fascinating. There's gonna be so much to get into with that movie. This is that's gonna be another like long episode probably. I think it probably yeah, will because always... both films um okay. So I've only again, I've only seen Anatomy of a Murder once. But again, it was like oh, one of God, those moments so where times. it was like this movie struck me so much. And yeah. you know, Anyone who says that Jimmy Stewart is one note or whatever nope. needs to watch movies from this period from him. We've already yeah. proven with Rope. With Rope and Vertigo and uh, Anatomy of a Murder, the Anthony Mann Westerns, you need to watch these movies and then mm-hmm. get back to me, okay? Because be- because Jimmy Stewart is one of the greatest American actors of all time. He's one of the greatest Sorry. film actors of all time. To me, you know, it's like, fight me. You know, because because <laughs> the guy the guy was fantastic, and yeah. I am so excited to revisit Anatomy of a Murder. I, I'm this is another one that I've never gotten to like write about or talk mm-hmm. about or anything, and I am just like I'm itching to get into it because I have so much already to say about this movie, yeah. and I haven't even watched it in years. But mm-hmm. it's so like I'm, like I said, I'm fascinated by it. Like whenever I, I watch it, I, it's like I said, it's long. It's like two, it's like, almost three hours. It's, it's a it's at least say. two and a half, yeah. So it's it's got some length to it, but it's never boring. It's so well paced. No, it's, never it's, boring. That's why. So I'm saying, like, it fascinates yeah. me all the way through yeah. every single time. And that's the thing, you know. Sometimes when we talk about you know length of movies uh, as being, it's not always a, a problem. You know, Bad there, there are short yeah. movies that are too long. It it, it all comes <laughs> down to pacing. It comes down to how is the story being told. And this movie. Yeah. Uh, we're talking. There's nothing I would no. take out. Of I mean, we're talking about the hitchhiker being tight. I mean, Anatomy of a Murder is twice as long. It's just as tight. Give it a watch. You won't regret it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, yeah. great Criterion disc. Yeah. I, that's like the first Criterion I bought was Anatomy of a Murder. Yeah. I checked this one out from the library, <laughs> to be honest. But um, <laughs> I'm very excited to to revisit. It. I have my old Criterion DVD. If you want that. <laughs> It's the DVD that I got from the library. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Well, I had to upgrade to the I, I know. Well, like, the, well, my face. In all honesty, uh, depending on, assuming this watch goes well, which I think it will, I may just add it to my list of, of ones to buy yeah. in the next sale, you yeah. know, to be honest. Okay, we should probably wrap our We're way up here. Um, thank you again for listening. Um, we are online. Uh, you can find our us on both on the Twitter on the bird aft out there. I'm at Brian D. Kuiper. I am at Michelle N. Agan. And the show is at Movie Life Pod. Uh, give us a follow there. and Yeah, give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. That's super helpful and nice. Yeah, we've gotten some to terrific reviews uh, lately. And we're really grateful to everyone who has 
said some nice things or uh, hit that five star button. Um, yeah, we love you guys. We have some great fans that we, we were yeah. talking about before. There's like some people that have been really awesome to to us, and uh, we love you guys. Yeah, we do. We do. You know who you are. Thank you so much uh, for the support and the continuing to you know shout us out and all those sorts of things and and spread the word um, about the show. And you know, we we we're gaining. A little bit of audience here it's it's been it's been slowly but surely yeah we're getting there so it's been very exciting and we're really grateful to everybody okay yeah all right so i guess we'll see you next time sure will <laughs> bye, bye.